Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that music makes me want to accomplish something. (laughs) Let's get down to business. My goodness, we're ready, everybody. We are now on Facebook Live. What on earth? What year is this? Uh, <laughs> we're finally caught up to 2008, Holy huh? Cow. Like <laughs> 3 days ago it looked like our show was uh, broadcasted from 1996 and now we got a new camera. We're on Facebook Live, YouTube Live. Mm-mm-mm. Holy Mm-mm-mm. cow, Ben, don't embarrass us. And what? I still use a pen though. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, August 22nd is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, Ben, which union is first? Uh, Operating Engineers Local 150. Okay, that, that's one of them. The International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150. Take a guess in another one. Um, oh, but Jeff Johnson. Oh, uh, the ele- Union of Jeff Johnson. <laughs> Electrical workers, man. Yeah, there you go. Are the, they second? And yeah. then Chicago Federation of Labor. Well, hold on. The International oh. Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. I'm never doing this idea again. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9 and the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers Local 126. That's aerospace, not Aerosmith. Very good. Local 126 at District 8. Big thank you to those unions for jumping on board. And the union of Jeff Johnson. That's awesome. And today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Thursday, August 22nd. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, In These Times writer Miles Complassen is back. Union man and pension guru Jeff Johnson is here to talk all things local politics and probably some questions about Joe Biden. And Sun-Times reporter David Roeder takes the deep dive with Benny J on downtown development. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Scaredy Cat Democrat Thursday. And here's why. You are like Eminem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, no, you're not. I I went to a rock show last night. Not a rap show, a rock show. Yes, indeed. I saw a Steely Dan cover band. Are you a fan of Steely Dan, D? No, not at all. Did not think you would be. Steely Dan, of course, is a great band from the 70s. Millennials, stay with me. I'm going to get around to politics. Love Steely Dan. Loved them in the 70s. Loved them in the 80s. And I still love them. All right, It was a, a cover band. They did two albums by Steely Dan. Your favorite album, D. 
uh, Asia. And uh, Miles' Miles favorite album, Countdown to Ecstasy. I know both of you love each album immensely, but we're not going to be allowed to play them, okay? I'm just going to talk about it. So uh, after the show, after the cover band show, I went out uh, for drinks with my wife and a friend of ours named Linda. Love Linda dearly. She's a friend of the Baby Boomer Persuasion. All right, who else would go see a Steely Dan cover band but Baby Although you'd be surprised, D, how many hipsters were in this audience of sort of like, you know, millennial persuasion. I was stunned by that. They like Steely Dan, too. Anyway, so uh, being, you know, going out for drinks with me, pretty soon the conversation is going to turn to politics and it's going to turn to the presidential race. And I asked Linda who she was favoring in the presidential race. And then things got a little predictable. Her voice dropped. She goes, I don't know if I want to tell you. I go, who could it be? She goes, don't tell. (laughs) Don't tell tell my kids. And I knew then and there that she was going to say that she was supporting Joe Biden. Oh, my God. And this brings me to what I really want to talk about, folks. Democrats are so insecure about Joe Biden. Joe Biden supporters are insecure about Joe Biden. Actually, I it's it's a delineation. I would say white Democrats are insecure about Joe Biden and black Democrats who support him are not insecure about Joe Biden. White Democrats are so used to their kids yelling at him all the time. How can you stand Joe Biden? He's a racist. He supported all these bigots back in the past. He signed on to the crime bill of the Clintons in the 1990s, etc. and so forth. He's losing his mind. He could be senile. The stuff he says at any given time is insane. That's what, you know, Millennials say about Joe Biden. You know that, D. You've heard him, right? They come into the show and say that. I thought we were talking about Trump for a yeah, minute. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they say about Joey Biden. Now, a lot of baby boomers, they like Joe Biden. They remember Joe Biden fondly as Barack Obama's running mate, the vice president, the stolid, solid white guy from Pennsylvania, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Isn't that where he's from, D? I know he's a senator from Delaware. He's a Scranton man. He's a Scranton man who stood by Obama when Obama needed that kind of support. Like people were scared about Obama at first, like a little, you know, cautious. It's a black man from Chicago named Barack Obama. And there was Joe Biden who stood by him, right? But not a lot of older Democrats remember that. And they respect, particularly a lot of black Democrats remember that. He, they remember him as Obama's wingman. He's getting bashed so 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 much that baby boomer Democrats are afraid to say that they support Joe Biden. They whisper. It's like when they swear or something, their voice drops. You ever notice that, D, when somebody's talking? Always. When their voice drops. So he's supporting Joe Biden. So here's what I say to Joe Biden people. Let's practice. Say it loud. Joe Biden. If you like Joe Biden, say it loud. Don't be ashamed. Don't hide your head. Okay, he's a Democrat. He's a good Democrat. Democratic Party has changed over the year. A lot of the policies they endorsed in the 80s and 90s are policies we wouldn't endorse now. I mean, you could just go through the list. All right. But, you know, it's an evolutionary process. A lot of the Democratic voters who are voting now have different views than they had in the 80s and 90s. You don't bash yourself, do you? You don't say, wake up in the morning and go, I don't like myself because in the 80s and the 90s, I was I had a, a horrific attitude about, let's say, the legalization of marijuana. 
So it's possible if you evolved as a voter that Joe Biden has evolved as a politician, right? Why are you ashamed being for Joe Biden? I don't get it, D. I will never get it. Now, on the other hand, uh, I said to Linda, she just turned to me and said, well, who are you supporting for president? And I said, well, you know, I'm like shifting every week, it seems like. But at the well, I'm a weirdo. <laughs> I was drinking that Kamala Kool-Aid, but after the last debate, I kind of shifted over to Bernie Sanders. I'm really feeling the the burn these days, particularly after I heard that Joe Rogan interview, which I keep talking about, uh, his interview with the podcaster Joe Rogan. And I just said, uh, Bernie Sanders stands for some the bread and butter Democratic values, like health care for all. So I'm feeling burn right the burn right now, but that could change. And then she's like, I don't know. I just Bernie can't win it. Here we go again. Right back at it. So first, baby boomers are afraid to admit they're for Joe Biden. And now they're just they can't jump aboard the Bernie bandwagon. They can't support Bernie because they're convinced. They're just convinced that a person who speaks that loudly, who throws his hands in the air that much and who advocates more to the point, far left of center views cannot possibly win and democrats of the older persuasion are so traumatized by the nixonian politics of their day or the ronald reagan politics of their day when carl rove and uh, all the different uh, operatives of the republican party who've got democrats afraid to stand up for the values that they believe in that many older baby boarders are convinced absolutely convinced that bernie sanders can't possibly win against donald trump and that's another thing they have Democratic voters have post-traumatic stress disorder, D, from that 2016 election. It's absolutely clear. They're so nervous. They remind me of Cubs fans back in the uh, O's. Every time the, after the 2003 Cubs season, that's the Bartman series, season where uh, the Cubs blew, what was it, three to one? They were up in the in the playoffs. Right, and they had a Bartman. <laughs> Cub fans, every get to an eighth inning, up, oh, we're going to lose. You talk to a Cub fan, we're going to blow it. It's not, That's how Democratic voters are. They're just so convinced that no matter what the polls say, because they lost the last time, they're going to lose this time. Bernie can't win because he's too left, et cetera, and so forth. I'm just going to go to uh, today's newspaper to read a quote from Donald Trump everybody just to know who you're up against in this election uh this is an article uh, from the new york times and donald trump was asked a question about uh gun control and he was asked about uh, his flip-flopping on whether we should have some more oversight for uh, uh gun con- on the sale of guns and he said the following are thing. you about to do your donald trump impression i uh, know I am. I could give you this quote, and you could read the whole quote as Donald Trump. Would no, you, like you the, go for it. Uh, I can't do. How do you do the Donald Trump invitation? Let's hear it. Come on. But but how do you? What's the tip? Oh, you uh, like uh, you're doing like the OK sign. Okay. <laughs> Some people think that's white power. It's OK sign. Um, uh, uh, okay, there you uh, go. But we're going to be. Can't do it, man. I should make you do it. You should read this. But anyway, I'm just going to read it straight. And you tell me what the heck Donald Trump is saying in this quote. Again, he was the question was about gun control and why he was flip flopping on the need uh, for more gun control. Here we go. Quote. But we're going to be filling in some of the loopholes, as we call them, at the border, and we'll be speaking about it at the border. 
it would be really nice if the Democrats would indeed fix the loopholes because it would be really nice. But despite that, I want to thank Mexico. They have 26,000 soldiers at our border, and they're really stopping people from coming in. So what happens is, with background checks, we're dealing with Democrats, we're dealing with Republicans. Folks, the question was about background checks on gun control. His answer had, I don't even know what his answer had to do, something about border security. Donald Trump is either a lunatic or he is in the early stages of some kind of brain breakdown, Alzheimer's dementia or something. That response is absolutely nonsensical. Democrats, you're worried about Bernie Sanders in the face of that? Come on, Democrats, buck up. If you need some therapy and help, go to a therapist. But don't be such worrywarts all the time, knees knocking, afraid to say who you're going to endorse, worried about Bernie Sanders possibly getting nominated. We got a country to save and an election to win. Let's get down to business, D. We got a great show today, everybody. Miles Conflast will be here from In These Times. I think Miles is one of those millennials who's not really feeling Joe Biden. But loves Steely Dan. <laughs> I doubt Miles. Well, we'll ask him if he loves Steely Dan. Um, I think I'm alone in this room right now of people who love Steely Dan. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, Jeff Johnson will be here. I doubt very much if Jeff. Well, I'm going to ask Jeff Johnson if he likes Steely Dan. Jeff Johnson knows absolutely everything about pensions. We're grilling him hard today. Politics. First question. You like in, Steely Dan? In Chicago. We're going to go through all the options facing Lori Lightfoot as she tries to figure out how to balance a budget, pay her obligations, and uh, make good on her promises uh, to progressives. Man, that's a tough act uh, for her to uh, uphold. And finally, uh, David Roder will be here. Ace Sun-Times reporter Dave Roder, good friend of the show, will be stopping in to talk about all the development. While I was gone, the development deals are popping left and right in the city of Chicago. The city of Chicago has never been booming more, huh? So, and, uh, if anybody ever takes a tour of the Sun-Times and uh, they notice just some guy just working like a madman with four computers open <laughs> and papers flying everywhere. Yeah, that's David yeah, Roder. David Roder. I mean, you go by... But, too busy to talk, Ben. I'm on the phone, okay? <laughs> I'm cutting a deal. Yeah, on two phones, yeah. four laptops, papers flying everywhere. Yeah, no Hardest working man in the building. Roder's the hardest working man. By the way, Doris Davenport was in the studio yesterday. She brought her dog, Mr. Precious Love. Did you, did you notice? I don't know if you noticed the reception that dog oh, got in the sun. People love Mr. Precious Love. Yeah, it's amazing. But... The only guy I didn't hug Mr. Precious Love? Dave Roder. Because he was so Roder. He's on that phone. <laughs> oh, development deal in the West Loop. <laughs> I got dog, whatever. <laughs> I got stuff to do. Uh, Maureen O'Donnell, good friend of the show. Love Mr. Precious Love. She was hugging Mr. Precious Love. Maureen, get around. I mean, stop hugging Mr. Precious Love and go out and see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's oh, your obligation. Man, what a sentence. Anyway. <laughs> I need some context. Yes, indeed. Anyway, that's what we're going to talk about today. We have a lot on our agenda before we get to any of that. That young man from Alton has the news. But we got to get down to business. <laughs> yes, we do. Isn't that right, Robert Mueller? That's correct. All right, yeah. All right, everybody. My name's Dennis. How's it going? Let's do the news here. Hold on. Let me pull it up here. Okay, here we go. Middle of Thursday. Let's do uh, local news here. And All for right. those wondering, yes, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is still on vacation with her family in Maine. Ben, please refrain from the Maine bashing. We get it. You hate the state of no, Maine. No, no, I don't hate the state of Maine. Oh, boy. If I went back and played the last two shows, I'd I like think to, I would uh, have a different Can uh, I apologize to the state of Maine again? You really want to do this again? Well, I, I just swear to know, God, I, if this ends up you insulting Maine... <laughs> 
I mean, I just don't understand how you could keep electing Susan Collins as your senator. That's uh, something I have on your mind. What was that lunatic governor you used to have? I forget his name. He's crazy. But wait, wasn't I supposed to apologize to Maine? All right, go back to Lori Lightfoot. All right, you're horrible at this. (laughs) All right, we have to talk about Lori Lightfoot and her plans after vacation. She's coming back from Maine one of these days. You can't hide out forever. (laughs) Right? The following comes from the Illinois political bulldogs over at Uh, Illinois Politico uh, and one Shia Kapos. When she returns from vacation next week, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot faces her biggest challenge yet. Mm. Negotiating a contract with the Chicago Teachers Union. It's a delicate tightrope to walk for the new mayor who wants to be a problem solver and also draw the line for what's best for the financial health of the city. One advantage she has is a wave of popularity that could give her more negotiating power with the union's demands. Lightfoot has said she wants an agreement before school starts on September 3rd, but given how much is riding on these negotiations, that may be testing the boundaries of political reality. Unlike previous years where salaries were at the heart of discussions, the biggest sticking point for the CTU this time is increasing the number of staff, particularly when it comes to a range of other professionals who help teachers do their jobs, such as social workers, nurses, and librarians. The mayor and Chicago public schools have responded to that demand by committing to hire 200 additional social workers over the next five years. That's in addition to the 413 already employed, and that would lower the ratio of kids to social worker from 885 to 1 to about 450 to 1, according to CPS. Lightfoot and CPS CEO Janice Jackson have also proposed hiring 250 more nurses in addition to the 310 on staff. Given CPS has 515 schools, that would allow for a nurse in every school. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts on all of this here and uh, Lightfoot's meeting coming up with the Chicago Teachers Union. Yes, Lori Lightfoot, Stacey Davis-Gates, get in a room, figure this out, cut a deal. Come on. Uh, And uh, the the Chicago Public Schools has been a disgrace on this issue, D. We have so many people that come through this studio and talk about it. Troy LaRavier, Erica Wozniak, Stacey Davis-Gates. Uh, there's not enough what they call wraparound uh, employees, people like social workers, like you said, counselors, nurses, etc. These Look, the Chicago Public Schools, the greatest challenge that it faces from an educational standpoint is trying to make sure that kids from poor backgrounds do as well as kids from wealthier backgrounds. I know there's few systems in the state that have uh, kids from such vastly different economic backgrounds as Chicago public schools. Just think about it. You have kids from the Gold Coast who like go to, let's say, a Walter Payton or Whitney Young or Northside Prep, and then you have kids from very poor neighborhoods who are also in the system. How do you balance those needs? And all too often during the age of Rom, Rom was sort of like laissez-faire. Let them sink or swim as they can. And uh, he saw you didn't invest in things like nurses and counselors and teach uh, teachers aides etc it was abysmal a lack of support for special ed Lori Lightfoot has to change that and I know it's difficult because she has to figure out where she's going to get the money but I think there would be public support D for uh, raising taxes to help the Chicago public schools I think people do believe in education the problem is we've committed so much of our property tax base to those freaking tiffs I talk about it over and over again every time you expand that 
shift program, you're eliminating the amount of money, the amount of property you can tax to help your public schools. We pretend as though it's not a, a like a weight around our neck, and it is. And Lori Lightfoot allowed that Lincoln Yard TIF to go down. We talk about that all the time. Um, so I just feel as though that Lori Lightfoot is going to have to, she is going to have to cut this deal with the Chicago Teachers Union D, and she's really going to have to uh, avoid a strike. I mean, there's so much tough talk rhetoric coming out now. I think that uh, there has to be some, how do I put this, Every, a give and take on both sides. But Lori Lightfoot has to, in my humble opinion, to make good on her promises uh, to hire more of these wraparound employees. And we just have to bite the bullet uh, on the taxes. And let's get rid of the tips. Huh? That would be a first step to paying for our public schools. All right, so we'll have to uh, give you the update once Lori Lightfoot and the Chicago Teachers Union have their meeting. But for now, who knows? All right, we're now one week away, by the way, from Mayor Lightfoot's budget address, where she will announce her plans to get the city of Chicago out of debt, roughly $1 billion, give or take a little. And Ben Jarofsky, it looks like we may, may get $11 million knocked off that tab. That's right, <laughs> yeah, because that the city of Chicago has received an $11 million interest loan. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and the one and only Fran, the woe man Spielman. The cash-strapped city of Chicago has essentially received an $11 million interest-free loan because of its failure to abide by a law requiring checks left uncashed for three years to be turned over to the state. The first of the newly discovered unclaimed checks was issued on August 25th, 1987. <laughs> I was like four years old. I think, yeah, I was the only one. I was going to say I was the only one in this room born back then, but okay, yeah, you were around. Ben was 50 in 1987. <laughs> Means he's like a hundred something right now. No, the first newly discovered unclaimed checks was issued on August 25th, 1987. That's when the city wrote a $200.77 check to the National Geographic Society. Since then, more than 22,000 city checks have gone uncashed. They were issued to companies, individuals, and nonprofits for services rendered, commodities delivered, paychecks never cashed, and overpayments made. Now, Ben, I'm going to go glass half full here for some contrast <laughs> I don't know why. and say $11 million is a fantastic start to getting us out of that $1 billion hole. Ben, your thoughts? I, I, well, except that we have to pay it. We have to pay the $11 million, so it's not really getting us out of the hole. This, uh -oh. this, <laughs> this glass is leaking. Okay, mm. it's not half full. It's, I tried. It's leaking. Right, there, was a, uh, there was a pretty interesting article by Fran Spielman, uh, Clint Chrisloff. Uh, but I'm going to ask uh, uh, Jeff Johnson about this one. Uh, a lawyer uh, fed her this story, I think. Uh, anyway, so he had discovered that the city of Chicago uh, had paid these bill, uh, paid these checks to people, but they didn't cash them. This is a bizarre story. For instance, they had paid a, a check to uh, Commonwealth Edison. I'm looking this at, at this story right here, D. Forty-four thousand dollars. Forty-four thousand dollars. What? Why wouldn't Commonwealth that? I know Commonwealth Edison gets a lot of money. But don't you think they would want to cash a check for $44,000? You know, Spy Magazine, just to the contrast is, back in the 80s, it was an old satirical magazine. They used to do this gimmick where they would send rich people checks for one cent. One penny, including a certain president of the United States, Donald John Trump, oh. before he was president of the United States, this is in the 80s, D. Uh, and, uh, they'd Let's hear that impression again. How do you do it again? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're awful. Uh. Can I do my Clinton instead? <laughs> yeah, sure, do your Clinton. 
I love you, D. That's a damn good Clinton. Dennis from Alton, Illinois. Uh, Miles Davis is from Alton, Illinois. Anyway, by the way, Miles was named for Miles Davis. Did you know that? Really? Yeah. Anyway. Editor uh, Miles, our intern? Yes. Was named for Miles Davis. Nice. Isn't that correct? Yes. Little known fact. Anyway. All right. Back uh, to. Not our guest, Miles Conflassen? Uh, he may have been. Uh, <laughs> he may have been named for Miles Davis. Well, I have to ask him. Uh, where was I going with this? <laughs> oh, you're oh Trump. Spy Magazine back in the eighties used to send uh, checks to rich people for a penny, one cent, and then make fun of them when they cashed them. And one of the people who cashed the check was Donald Trump. The guy's a millionaire back in the eighties. Was big time real estate developer in New York. Why would he need a penny? Well, one penny saved. A penny saves a penny. Yeah, there you go. So anyway, this is the opposite of that. Commonwealth Edison got a check for $44,000 and didn't cash it. The city of Chicago under state law is supposed to turn it over to the state. In fact, you know the state treasurer, D, every now and then has that uh, big long list of people who have checks uh, in waiting to be cashed. Have you ever found your name on that list? Hell no. Uh, Miles, you ever find your name on that list? It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, wow, found money. My name was on that list once. I I think it was a check for like $50 that for some reason I never cashed. Anyway, um, so yeah, so there's all these uncashed checks that the city has been issuing over the years. The city has been uh, not sending them over to the state as they're supposed to. So now, D, they're going to have to give them to the state. So, you know, it's really a leaking glass. I mean, it's not like Lori can use that to hire more nurses, all right? She's got to give that money to the state. So it's not Correct. really good. <laughs> yes, it is. All cool. right, guys. By the way, uh, if you're downloading, awesome. Thank you. Keep downloading. We love your downloads. We update it and check your downloads all the time. But we do live stream the program. And boy, we have stepped up our game just in the last two days, people. We got a Mevo camera. Very fancy. I'm not going to talk about it. Who donated it to us. Very nice gentleman. It's a guy. But uh, also, we did it on YouTube. Today, we're on Facebook live stream. Multiple outlets with up-to-date technology and up-to-date cameras. People are weighing in, Ben. Good times here. All right? How about our friend Alan? He weighed in on the Facebook video live stream. He says, Ben, that Bulls hat you're wearing looks like you've owned it since Dave <laughs> Corzine was on the active roster. It's Dave Corzine, and that is it. Somebody sent him something, because that's a great comment. Dave Corzine. <laughs> oh, man, Dave this, Corzine. People can really see it now, Ben, so they're weighing in here. Oh, we got uh, also Johnny Joe. He weighed in. He said, that close-up of Ben just cracked my monitor screen. Wait, let's ask, uh, th- th- who was the guy that did made the Dave Corzine comment? Alan. For 10 trivia points, Alan, what high school did Dave Corzine? He's not here. How is he going to answer it? Why are you giving people trivia points that aren't here? Trivia what is question. that? Uh, it was Hersey High School, I believe, that he attended. Uh, the, uh, and where did he go to college, D? I don't know. Uh, DePaul University. That's where. And who drafted him? First of all. Ice Cube. Uh, <laughs> San Antonio Spurs. Man, it's basketball. I know it. But anyway, yes, this hat is about as old as Dave Corzine. Old hat. Old hat, old pen, old book, old guy. All right. Love Steely Dan. Let's move on to some state news here. Taking Mm -hmm. a look at the Illinois governor's Thursday plans. J.B. Pritzker is at the state capitol today. Mm. What's he doing at the state capitol, you may be asking? Don't be naive. Don't be naive, everybody. You know what he's doing. All together now. Come on, Ben. Miles, you too. Signing legislation. Signing a bill. There he goes. Signing legislation. He does it a lot. He loves it. Signed like three bills yesterday. Signed one today. Beats vetoing him like a certain other governor. We are, you know, you remember that governor, don't you? 
I think I do. Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Yay for our teachers! Yeah. Today's legislation signing involves Illinois teachers and raising their minimum salary to $40,000, all in an effort to address the statewide teacher shortage. Ben, what do you think about that? I, I think it's about time. The other governor vetoed it. I forget the other governor's name. It was, it's, uh, what was his name? Yay again? for our teachers! Yeah, governor Yay Robert. for our teachers! Uh, well, listen, uh, everybody knows I'm very pro teacher, and uh, I've I don't understand how the state thinks they could uh, bring in the best and the brightest teachers to teach our kids. Everybody says how important it is for teachers. You know, the, the, the children are the future, like the song says. Everybody, oh, nothing's more important than teaching kids. And then when it comes to paying teachers to teach the kids, uh, we're going to make you work for less. The whole charter school movement was utterly insane. It was dedicated to the proposition that you could build a great teaching force by paying teachers less. We lost our minds on that one, folks. I think we're finally coming out from uh, that charter school delusion. But uh, anyway, so I'm happy to see that we, we set this minimum standard. And, you know, the, the great fight has always been over how we uh, apportion, how we spend the taxes we give to government. And I would rather see our money uh, go to people who do very important work like teachers and nurses and firefighters and police officers, et cetera, uh, than it's seed to go, let's say, subsidize a development deal in a gentrifying neighborhood that does not need a subsidy at all. So that's my take on that, D. All right, let's do a segment here. This brand new segment just made it up right now. Mm-hmm. We're calling it Governor Jarofsky. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right. Okay, like Mike Madigan would ever let me get on the ballot. That's why this is fiction, <laughs> completely fiction. He would never be governor. Oh, my goodness. So, Governor Jarofsky, if you were governor of Illinois, Mr. Governor Jarofsky, how much salary, well, what would the salary be for teachers? You mean the minimum salary? Minimum salary for teachers. Uh, statewide? Statewide. Absolutely. Absolutely. Bare minimum salary, 50 grand. And that would cover some areas where 50 grand is um, like a lot more than Chicago. See, then you get into the issue, like Chicago, the cost of living is a lot more than, let's say, how much, uh, you've lived in both cities, Alton and uh, Chicago. Yeah. In your humble opinion, what's $50,000 in Chicago money in Alton? Oh, you're you're living like a king in Alton on fifty thousand okay. dollars. Fifty grand then. Holy cow. All right. And you would be my uh my education guru, my salary <laughs> guru. I go, D, what is fifty thousand dollars in Carbondale money? Huh? <laughs> what was that radio station that uh Robert w- JPF to- in Carterville, Illinois? What's fifty grand in Carterville? A lot. Okay. Fifty grand. There you go. Fifty grand's a lot in Carterville. Oh That's where we go with teacher salaries. Be high on the hog there on uh, fifty thousand a year. All right. So and there would be still some teacher that wouldn't vote for me. There's all my beloved teachers are as well. They're as nutty as most Democrats. You know, I kind of like. Trump. Have you ever met a teacher who's for Trump? Every now and then, I met. I, I kind of like Trump. He's against everything. I've never met a teacher that likes Trump. Oh I've my thought about god! It. I've geez, I've met a couple Isn't anyway. Like, hey, you know, I'm thinking about voting for the Drosky guy. But boy, that hat looks like it's like 30 years old. <laughs> who said that? Was that John? John who said that? Alan. Oh, Alan said that. Yeah, it's an old hat. I just grabbed it. I'm going to get a new hat. I'm going to get a new uh, bull's hat this weekend. Old hat, uh, old man. <laughs> Didn't even remember Alan's name. I, I maybe maybe I should wear my White Sox hat. You know, White Sox hat. D, did you know that? I have <laughs> yes. a Bears hat. I never wear them. I was all right. Today's show brought to you by Ben's Hats. Let's just talk about all the hats you have. 
What other hats you got? Uh, I Fedora? Have, uh, no, I don't. I've always been a baseball hat. I've been wearing baseball hats since the 70s. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, so, Ben, we're going to need some help with you on this one here. Yeah, uh, a day on. after an explosive report revealed years of bullying under the reign of Illinois House Speaker Mike Madigan's chief of staff, our governor, J.B. Pritzker, on Wednesday spoke out, mm-hmm. eh, pretty much ducked and dodged, <laughs> questions about whether yeah. he's still confident in the speaker's leadership. Pritzker said, quote, the culture of sexual harassment exists in Springfield on both sides of the aisle. It has been pervasive for a long time. I think anybody that's worked in Springfield has talked about it and knows about it. And it's a very positive thing that these things have come to light. This is a story we haven't really talked about here on the show this week. We've been dealing with other issues. So, Ben, please uh, give a little background here. What's going on and uh, your thoughts on Pritzker's uh, quote? All right, we'll say this. Uh, We did a bonus feature on this subject. We didn't do that live, but that'll air Monday. So uh, just a, that's what they call in the radio business, the a tease. Get that, a tease. You are so <laughs> good at this. Uh, uh, anyway, yes, I, uh, we talked a lot about the sexual harassment culture in Springfield. And of course, this issue erupted, I want to say in 2017 times, just all coming together. I can't remember the years. Elena Hampton uh, was a former political aide to Michael Madigan, a political operative, uh, worked uh, with Michael Madigan's uh, Democratic Party for years in many different races. Uh, she came forward with accusations that she supported with text that she was being harassed by one Kevin Quinn, who was another political operative uh, for Michael Madigan and the brother of Marty Quinn. And that just brought this uh, this story uh, to the forefront. Uh, there was other issue, the other uh, accusations of sexual harassment. Uh, Sherry Garrett made accusations about Tim Mapes, who was Michael Madigan's uh, chief of staff. Can't believe I can still remember all these names. Names, D. Uh, and uh, so there was an investigation uh, into um, what kind of everybody in Springfield knew, which is that uh, men were behaving badly down at Springfield. It was sort of, I always said it was sort of like a, a rat pack fraternity attitude. Uh, guys were in Springfield away from their wives, away from their homes, away from their kids. And it was sort of like party time. Let's party down a party. And uh, they got a little carried away to put it mildly. Uh, and Elena Hampton, to give her a lot of credit coming forth, uh, sort of blew the whistle on everything. And then all of a sudden the Democrats were like, I'm shocked that this is going on. Republicans too. I'm sh- cause let's face it. The behavior is on both sides of the aisle. It's only the Democrats that, uh, investigate and treat it like a serious issue, but it's on both sides of the aisle. So they conducted this report, uh, this investigation D and it's very interesting. Uh, I did not get a chance to talk about this, but I still have the newspaper article, very bizarre report. Um, Michael Madigan, of course, is the head of the Democratic Party, and uh, he's the Speaker of the House, and he's well, now the number two powerful, most powerful man in the state of Illinois. I'd say Pritzker is more powerful than Madigan. I think we all agree on that. I think Miles, who just came to the studio, would agree with me on that one, too. Uh, and they did the report. I'm trying to find the report here yesterday. Oh, yeah. and the re- But it's like, so the issue is in the report that they were examining, how much did Michael Madigan know? about uh, what was happening under his reign. How much was he aware of this culture of sexual harassment, of the frat boy culture, the rat pack culture, whatever you want to call it, that existed in Springfield. And the report was very delicately written, D, uh, as to avoid seriously accusing Michael Madigan of every of anything except for, and this is so bizarre, as being this benevolent figure that all state employees loved, uh, as though their biggest concern was that Michael Madigan didn't know 
um, enough about them as opposed to him knowing too much about them or he was too powerful or too intimidating. And I had a laugh, D, because it's like when you ask people about their bosses, they get very nervous because you say the wrong thing about your boss. Your boss may retaliate and punish you, et cetera, et cetera. So what people are saying reminded me of the old days of Mayor Daley. People would only praise him and go, I love Michael Madigan. He just... I wish I got to see more of Michael Madigan. That seemed to be the theme here. I'll read to you uh, from the report. The report states, of those interviewed, more than 100 people, including current and former speaker, staff, legislators, and other people involved in state politics, quote, most people did not believe that Speaker Madigan would retaliate against them. Instead, the fear was that Speaker Madigan did not know who they were and thus would not know how to defend them if they were punished or terminated. So it's just like, we love Madigan. I, this report, D, I'm not so sure the veracity of this report. Uh, but anyway, a report had to be done. An investigation had to be done. That's how it works in Illinois. You know, you have a blue ribbon committee or you appoint some uh, well-respected lawyer to do an investigation. And it usually clears the most powerful people and life goes on. So any predictions you'd like to make here as to what's going to happen uh, with this whole Madigan situation? Madigan's going to stay in office? Yeah. yeah. On this issue? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You see, uh, dig a hole, bury everything, cover up the hole. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so there you are, everybody. Some uh, local news happening. Feel free to uh, check us out on Facebook at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, because we are Facebook video live streaming today. Technology is Amazing, all right? It's 2019, and we're finally on uh, Facebook Live. We're on YouTube as well. <laughs> uh, we're doing all kinds of cool things here. And, uh, man, I just I feel something. It's in the air. You feel it too, Ben? Miles, do you feel that in the air? I feel it. You know what it is? No. Football. I think, yeah, it is. <laughs> Football season. It's on the way. Which means that the best sports reporters in Chicago at the Chicago Sun-Times want to offer you, yes, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories you love. That's A-L-L, all of the stories <laughs> that you love. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big plays, scores, and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can test out digital access for only $1. Seriously, that's O-N-E, $1. There's no reason to not give it a shot. Stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters. Cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city and go deep inside City Hall with the best in-class political reporting. $1, $1, I say, for your first month. I checked, I looked online. You cannot do better than that. So take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. People, do not go anywhere, especially all you on uh, Facebook, watching us on Facebook Live. Do not go anywhere. The Ben Jarofsky Show will be right back. And when we come back in these times, writer Miles Kampf-Lassen will be joining us. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had 
two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Get to know your city on one of Chicago Architecture Center's 65 walking tours. Hear the unforgettable secrets and stories behind Chicago architecture from our expert docents. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a tour right now. Oh, wow. Look at that building. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. We are back. Miles Conflassen in the studio from In These Times, a regular visitor on the show. D, you got an update for me before uh, I bring Miles on? An update. Nothing serious. Uh, our good friend Sergio Mims weighed hey, in. Sergio? He, he weighed in on the Facebook video live stream, which you can do as well. The Ben Jarofsky Show on Facebook at Benny J Show. Check it out. Get a load of that super old hat Ben's wearing. <laughs> Sergio writes in. <laughs> No, well, by the way, today we've been talking about the band Steely Dan, if you just joined us. Yeah. Millennials, please just hang tight with us. That's all we can ask. Uh, Sergio Mims weighs in. He says, does Ben know that the real Steely Dan is going to be performing at Ravinia? I didn't know that, and uh, I will not be going to the concert. And it's, well, unfortunately, uh, one of the members, there's two people in Steely Dan, uh, uh, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker, and Becker died. So it's just basically Fagan. But uh, yes, I did know that. I do not have tickets. And Sergio Mims, if you're listening, your post on Facebook about Pete Buttigieg was hilarious. Okay, can I just say that right now? We spent a lot of time, Miles, talking about Pete Buttigieg uh, yesterday. We'll probably get to him in the discussion. And uh, uh, but Pete Buttigieg came to the city of Chicago. I uh, held a rally on the south side of Chicago at the Harold Washington Cultural Center. Uh, let's see, today is Thursday. I believe it was Tuesday. So this is in Bronzeville, 47th and uh, King Drive in a black neighborhood. There was hardly any black people in the audience uh, at all. And uh, this is part of my, uh, today, I'm very controversially uh, saying nice things about Joe Biden. And But before I get to that, uh, Sergio, it was hilarious. He put on his Facebook page, that he was wondering why he saw so many white people on the train, I think the red line, going south uh, into uh, Hyde Park. And then when he saw that uh, Pete Buttigieg was having the rally, 
um, he realized. So anyway, Sergio, that explains we'll, it. Yeah, that explains it. Um, we'll get to uh, Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden, and all the other stuff, uh, Miles. But uh, talk about the SEU, SEIU endorsement, big time union endorsement. Always an important uh, endorsement for Democratic presidential candidates to uh, to receive. Yeah. So there's been a couple updates. Um in the past week about um, what organized labor is going to do in 2020. As we, um, a lot of folks probably remember, um, in 2016, Donald Trump was able to do better among union households than any Republican since um, 1984, which is uh, very bad for the Democrats. And, you know, Hillary Clinton actually only beat him by eight percentage points among union households, which was the the, the lowest percentage. And back in 2012, Mitt Romney, um, he did 18 points less than Obama, which is still not great. You know, you'd expect labor to be even more with the Democrats. But um, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there just has not been follow through on a lot of the promises that Democrats make during the campaign season to unions and to workers in terms of passing legislation that's actually going to um, advocate for workers. So um, in the wake of that, unions are kind of like, well, we need to do something a little bit differently. At uh, their annual Iowa convention, uh, Trumpka, the, Richard Trumpka, the head of the AFL-CIO, also said that Democrats are going to have to really compete for labor's endorsement this year. Um, and yeah, SEIU President Mary Kay Henry said that um, there's going to be a litmus test for Democrats this year. If you remember in 2016, um, pretty much every union backed Hillary Clinton, and most of them did it very early. Um, controversially, many of them did it without any type of formal endorsement process, without any membership uh, input. And so as a result, you know, people felt like the union was just in the bag for Hillary, and you know, they didn't really get any concessions out of her. She didn't talk about unions that much on the campaign trail. Famously, she f- didn't really campaign in Iowa, or I'm sorry, in uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin or in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, places where the union movement's very important. And as a result of that, you know, a lot of union workers, I think, felt left out and not uh, spoken to in that election. So things are going a little bit differently this year. And as a result, you know, we've seen uh, Democrats come out with more bold proposals, which is what we've seen this week. All right. Let's talk. You you mentioned the litmus test. What would be that test? Well, they laid out a few things. They said that they want to see collective bargaining um, as part of any national programs that are put forward by candidates. They want to see $15 minimum wage. Um, Those are things that are broadly popular right now amongst Democratic voters, amongst Democratic candidates. But what they, you know, they haven't been put into writing by all of these candidates. Famously in 2016, again, you know, Hillary Clinton had said that she was not for a $15 minimum wage. She would only agree to a $12 minimum wage. I think workers were not super happy with that, you know, uh, especially at a time when the wages have been stagnant since the 70s, essentially. And, you know, workers need a raise. You know, it seems obvious as a Democrat, you're running to be the candidate of working people. You are going to run on an ambitious program, you know, that would that would benefit them. And what Clinton said was, no, 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 we got to be pragmatic. We got to stick to just 12. And so this year, SEIU is saying, no, if you want our endorsement, you got to back $15. Joe Biden has said he would do that, but he hasn't really, you know, come out with many proposals at all. As as many people have commented, he's been 
you know, wary about putting out anything basically, you know, compared to it's him and Buttigieg have both been very um, lax on policy programs. There's a lot of rhetoric, but very few policies. Let's go back and talk about Hillary Clinton before we get into Biden. Biden's a favorite uh, subject of mine at the moment. Uh, but Hillary Clinton in 2016 was already moving center. Well, she was already in the center. She was moving right. Uh, while she was running to win the Democratic nomination, I think that was part of just the arrogance of that campaign yeah. that she just thought she was going to automatically uh, win the nomination was already getting ready to run yeah. uh, a, you know, the campaign against Republicans where immediately they pivot and move toward the center. Both parties do that. To, well, the Republicans don't really do it, but the Democrats do it all the time. They move farther to the right. Uh, yes, they move farther. This, the big difference I see between uh, 2020 and 2016 is that uh, Democrats, by and large, are reluctant at the moment, anyway, to head to the center? In fact, many of the, um, the 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 Democratic candidates who were starting in the center have left the race already. Yeah, yeah. they're so unpopular. Hickenlooper, Hickenlooper left to go. At Delaney, uh, your favorite. Just kidding. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, have left the race. So that's a big difference, right there. Don't you think? I think so, and. Um, I mean, I think so if we can back up for a second, I think it's important to look at what's going on with the lives of, you know, working people in America right now. Um, the U.S. has among the least worker protections of any developed country in the world. It's basically on par with countries like Myanmar and Pakistan. Um, and that has a lot to do with the lack of, you know, paid family leave, the lack of guaranteed health care, the lack of basic um, standards of living that other countries, especially across Europe, provide. And so... Um, the, uh, the unionization rates around 11%, which is incredibly low. It was in the 20s back in the 80s. In the private sector, at 7%. That has not been that low since the 30s, before the union movement really um, was at its strongest. So, you know, things are not going great for American workers and certainly not for organized labor. That said, um, the public opinion is starting to change. Public support for unions is at a 15-year high right now, uh, especially true among young people. We've seen um, strikes across the country. More than half a million Americans participated in a strike or a lockout last year, which is um, how the many highest, did you say? Uh, over half of a million. And what that means is that's the most since 1986. What that means, we don't even count strikes by right now. The the Department of Labor doesn't even count strikes if there's less than a thousand workers participating. So in small scale walkouts that number could even be higher so and you know west virginia we saw statewide strikes on yeah. teachers last year so that really shows a revitalization i think of the labor movement and we've also seen um, new industries start to unionize digital media you know silicon valley all these other um areas where unions traditionally have not had a stronghold are starting to expand so i think that's starting to change um the tide a little bit yeah uh I don't know if you had an opportunity, I know you were on vacation, to see uh, Bernie Sanders' his interview with Joe Rogan. Now, uh, folks, Joe Rogan is a, uh, runs a podcast, one of the most podcasts, most popular podcasts in America. And uh, he's sort of a libertarian, I would say. Wouldn't you say, D, more of a libertarian yeah. persuasion? I think he's actually endorsed Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, I want to say that's his favorite candidate. Uh, we're almost up to his download numbers, by the way. We're yeah, getting we're, there. We're, <laughs> we're getting there. What? <laughs> uh, Joe Rogan's up here. We're down there. We're running the grassroots campaign here yeah. at the Benjirovsky Show. Uh, but Bernie was on the show, and, and, and one of my f uh, favorite moments of the interview is a really interesting interview uh, because Rogan really let Bernie talk. 
And so Bernie laid out his vision. Uh, and I've been sharing some of that vision with people coming to the studio, get yeah. the reaction. Uh, and so far, people not really buying Bernie's vision, but we'll see what you say. But one of the things uh, that Rogan hit him on uh, was when it got to the minimum wage, uh, and Bernie said he was for the minimum wage, Rogan said to him, well, uh, well, what about, you know, uh, not a minimum wage for ki- uh, teenage workers? Obviously, you're not against that, or you can't be for that, you know, because that's their, their first jobs. And Bernie was insistent, no, I'm, I'm for a minimum wage of $15 for everybody, absolutely everybody. Uh, and it was just an adamant stand, yeah. that Bernie stand. That's, uh, people say, well, Benny, why are you drinking that Bernie Kool-Aid now? Because I like the fact that he didn't back down. And I could just see so many Democrats. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, no. Kids aren't going to get the minimum wage. You know, but my opinion, if you don't give the minimum wage for everybody, then there's no minimum wage. You follow what I'm saying? I mean, that's the key to universal programs, right? As soon as you start making exceptions or, you know, cutting around the edges, that's just starts the race to the bottom with any of these proposals where then you get the most kind of tepid, weak, business friendly proposals that will pass. If you'll remember, you know, when the minimum wage, even the minimum wage increase that Rahm Emanuel passed, there were aldermen that were speaking out, including Matt O'Shea in my uh, home uh, community. Beverly, you know, that was his argument too, basically was saying, look, there's all these businesses where teenagers are working at like the rainbow cone on Western Avenue. We're going to have to pay them minimum wage too. They're going to go out of business. Well, rainbow cone's still in business for one. There was also, you know, just a major uh, New York uh, city passed a $15 minimum wage um, previously. And there's a new report out that shows that restaurants are doing better than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these predictions, you know, this hand wringing said, oh, we're going to have to lay off all these people. We're going to have to, you know, increase prices. Nobody's going to come eat anymore. Not true. It's just the, the facts don't back that up. Well, I, again, one of the arguments that uh, aldermen of like Mattershade in the 19th Ward, aldermen whose wards border with the suburbs, suburbs yeah. is that, well, you could just go across the street and there is no minimum wage, whatever suburb is across the street. So uh, effectively, we're hurting Chicago businesses at a competitive disadvantage. If you raise the federal minimum wage, that is uh, not a, a problem. Uh, so that eliminates that argument, although I'm sure there'd be some other argument manufactured. Uh, but what Bernie is saying in that interview and what he is saying throughout uh, on his stump speeches and in the debates, Miles, is that it's beyond just endorsing uh, something like $15 an hour minimum wage. You've got to dig in and you have to fight for it. And I think this scares a lot of voters. And yeah. Let's talk about this for a while. I mean, when, when I heard Bernie and Joe Rogan, he was like, we need a mass movement. We have to we have to have a revolution. It can't just be a slogan. We have to, there's going to be opposition. There's entrenched interests that are going to have to give up. and They're not going to go down easy. They're going to have commercials fighting all this. Uh, do you think that the Democratic Party is willing is ready that voters in this in this country are ready and willing uh, to endorse somebody who is that direct about what he intends to do? Well, I think it's important you bring up Bernie Sanders because the other thing that uh, just happened this week, yesterday, in fact, was that Bernie came out with his labor plan, um, his long-awaited labor plan. So this, just to run through, I'm going to get to answering your question, but just to run through a few things that are in this proposal, because it is by far the most ambitious labor proposal I think ever put out by any modern Democratic candidate. Uh, It's called the Workplace Democracy Plan. 
Um, and it includes some classic labor things like card check, you know, majority sign up so that we'd get rid of, you know, the need for all the union elections. It would have just cause so that, you know, you can't get fired for any reason. Your employer has to have a reason for firing you. Um, it would extend union rights to all public workers. It would um, extend the protections to agricultural workers and domestic workers, people that have traditionally been left out um, of those industries. It'll also stop captive audience meetings. And I think this is, all this stuff is very important because, of course, many of your listeners are um, uh, familiar with unions and you know expect the Democrats to follow through on their promises to unions. Um, this proposal would ban right to work laws. Um, it would provide the right to strike for federal workers. I mean, that's that's a pretty big that's change pretty for big, especially yeah. when we think back to Reagan. You know, when the PACO strike and mm-hmm. he busted all the busted the unions. Bernie's saying no. We need to give workers the right to strike because he believes in. Um, uh, being a movement candidate, you know, he says he wants to be the organizer in chief, and I don't think it's all rhetoric. And I do think it has a lot to do with um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. You know, one of the great uh, heroes of the Democratic Party in the '30s when um, FDR ran, he ran. Uh, he put out something called the National Industrial Recovery Act. Some people might remember that. I mean, you know, probably weren't around then, but uh, famously in Section Seven A in that act, uh, he. Uh, said that all everyone has a right to collectively bargain and has a right to organize. Mm-hmm. Now, that was just a line in a proposal, but what working people did is they said, hey, the president wants you to have a union. And they used that to uh, activate people all across the country to uh, demand militantly the right to unionize. And in the 30s, we saw this massive movement of working people, and that's what changed the labor laws in this country. It was not just FDR, you know, pulling out his pen and saying, we're going to do this now. It was exactly the vision of change that Sanders is talking about, of saying we need to have tens of thousands, millions of people in the street demanding these um, solutions if we're actually going to put them into law. We mentioned captive audience uh, meetings. What what, what, What are you alluding to? Well, so if you're, you know, you work at Target or you work at some big box store, let's say Mm -hmm. your employer says, hey, we're going to have a meeting and, you know, mandatory meeting. And you go in and they show you a video all about how the union wants to take away all your rights. The union wants to destroy the family nature of the company that you're working in. And, you know, they do this, especially ahead of any union election. And it scares the hell out of anybody who's thinking about that. You know, they want to make more money, but they don't want to be fired. They don't want to be alienated from their bosses, their coworkers. They're scared. You know, they're intimidated. And that's what a captive audience meeting is. It means they're forcing you to take in this type of anti-union propaganda that any employer is going to put forward. I mean, whether you're a big box store owner or you're just like a nonprofit manager, you don't want to have to negotiate with your employees. Most likely you want to maintain as much power as you can in the workplace. So that's why this proposal, I think it's really about changing the power dynamic and saying workers should have more power. And one of the things, just to, to end about, uh, this proposal, and why I think it's so interesting, um, is that it would set new standards and do that through sectoral bargaining, which mm-hmm. is something that they have in Europe. It basically means any industry, there's going to be some basic standards around wages, around benefits, or around healthcare, around basic things. It also means that um, under his proposal, you know, there would be Medicare for all as well. And any of the benefits from Medicare for all, from getting taking health care out of a contract would go back into the employees in terms of wages and benefits. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Joe Biden might say, 
Medicare for all is going to screw over union workers. This proposal says, no, that's actually going to help union workers. It's going to give them more. It was actually John Delaney who said that, not Joe Biden. It was John Delaney. Oh, no, it was Tim Ryan from Ohio's big thing. Well, in the debates, but that's but Biden has said that as well. That's been his argument against Medicare for all. He said that this will hurt unions. Yeah, well, I totally disagree with him on that one. Of course uh, not. It would take health care off of the table. And uh, I urge everybody to check out the interview I did with Ryan Kelly uh, from uh, the aerospace workers. That was about a month ago. And he just decimated that argument. Uh, He went on a riff uh, that was really good to hear. And he decimated that argument because but in debates, it was Tim Ryan who was advocating Mm -hmm. the strongest. All right. uh, Let's get back to the question I asked you. Do you think voters be uh, turned off by Bernie's insistence? that um, it's bigger than an election. It's bigger than a slogan. It has to be a mass movement and we have to confront entrenched interests. That's what he's talking about. He's pretty audacious about it uh, and he doesn't back away from it. Do you think that voters will be scared by that rhetoric? Well, that's what primaries are for is I think to, to, to see who is going to be able to rally the American people and what, you know, who's who's the best person for the moment. And right now, with the challenges facing working people in this country and with, you know, a psychotic racist in the White House who seemingly every day's brain turns more into mush, as you were <laughs> talking about earlier. You know? Guys, I think he's on the way to dementia. Yeah, exactly. Under these circumstances with, you know, the threat of climate change growing every single day with, you know, 30 million people people lacking health care in this country with um, the as you know Bernie Sanders talks about with the so much wealth held in so few hands while you know poverty rates are exploding and we're seeing you know inequality levels we haven't seen since the Gilded Age we need big solutions to the problems that we're facing and when you you know you ask most people what they their number one concern is uh, that they're going to vote on it's health care and who do they trust the most on health care is Bernie Sanders and it's, I think it's because he speaks with moral clarity about the issues and he says that we health care is a right we need it now we don't need it in 10 years like Kamala Harris is proposing we need it within four years within the first term of any new president and um, that's the that's going to help people's lives get so much better because they'll be able to actually you know have income that they can use to buy things that they want they can live with more safety and security i think that that's and that's true that the only way you're going to change that is by taking on the industries that are right now profiting off of Mm -hmm. people's death basically and that's what pharmaceutical companies drug companies and insurance companies are doing so it might seem scary because it's you know, uh, talking about the need for mass movements, but this happens all the time. It's not like people it's, I know a lot of people are not out on the streets every day, but when you look at the labor movement, when you look at, you know, the women's rights movement, the civil rights movement, we've done this before and we've seen it in response to Trump. Look at all the protests at the airports after the Muslim ban. Look at, you know, the way people have come together since the Parkland shooting and other mass shootings. People are, we can, we can have this type of uh, movement politics in this country. I don't think it's too scary for democratic voters. All right. Let's uh, uh, shift gears a little bit. Uh, talk about something we've talked about in the past. We have, uh, and that is, of course, the Jeffrey Epstein story, which is just never ending, it seems. Um, I'm watching f- from afar how that story is being weaponized to a degree by the Republicans, by uh, Trump supporters, to try to shift as much. Uh, I don't even know if it, it is res- like responsibility <clears throat> and blame to Clinton's to yeah. make this a Democratic story, which is very bizarre, very 
very bit, bit bizarre political jujitsu uh, by uh, Republicans. On one hand, I have to give them credit. They're out front on it. Uh, it, it I mean, there's a direct connection between Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump, but they've just very successfully shifted the focus to Bill Clinton and they're turning it into a Bill Clinton story uh, and a Democratic story. I think if you if you remember, even during the um, debates back in 2016, when Trump, when the Access Hollywood tape came out and, you know, all this, you know, these lawsuits were out against Trump by women who claimed that he had sexually harassed or abused them. And obviously he was on tape talking about doing horrendous things to women. The next thing Trump did was brought in Bill Clinton's uh, rape accusers into the debate so that Hillary Clinton had to look at them. He, they're very good at doing this kind of shit. So now you'll see all these hashtags that say Clinton body count and everything regarding Jeffrey Epstein. I think that that's, you know, that's clearly thought through what they're what they're doing there in terms of the uh, Republican operatives. But really, the Jeffrey Epstein case is an indictment of the elite at all levels of this country, I think, from both parties that were all, you know, implicated with this guy. And it's very it's clear that Bill Clinton, you know, he said he was on the plane. He was friends with Jeffrey Epstein's. A number of Democratic donors were as well. but along with many Republicans, including Trump. So nobody's hands are clean in terms of what th- their involvement with this, you know, true uh, human villain, you know, in our in our times. But the cover up that's that's gone on since then is also very repulsive. And I do think that that's something that, you know, people are going to need to pay more attention to, because the fact is that, you know, there's a lot more questions that there are answers so far. And one of the things we that, that just came out is the fact that two days before his death, um, he signed a new Jeffrey Epstein signed a new will putting all of his estate over five hundred million dollars into a trust, which will make it, you know, seemingly nearly impossible for any of his um, accusers to get any money back from him from his estate. So not only are they not going to see him face justice now, they're also not even going to be able to get any money, or at least it'll be very very difficult to do so. And as a result of this, while you know the William Barr might say we're going to keep you know, the charges going, the charges really died with, with Epstein. Nobody else was charged. There were no other co-conspirators. So there's no other, you know, case really going on right now, other than them looking through and, you know, releasing some files here and there, but they were about to uh, release a list of co-conspirators that could have really, um, brought a lot of people down or at least, you know, brought their names out into the open. Yeah. I, uh, I'm always resistant to conspiracy theories. Uh, it's really difficult for me. You know, I, I don't like to openly articulate them, but I'm looking at Jeff Johnson. I say this, but this particular one, I'm struggling with this one. And, and part of it is just like a realistic thing because like he was spo- supposed to be under suicide a watch and there's... Uh, they're so underserved uh, at the detention center uh, in New York. And this gets into a larger issue about firing federal employees and really going after federal unions, which Trump, the Trump administration has been w- waging a fight against federal unions since they walked in the office. So there's these a lot of other issues that are very important that were all around this. It's true, but I mean, there's when I say cover up, I don't just mean the conspiracy. I mean, there was subpoenas sent out for 20 people in the jail that were working in the jail today. We also saw the warden was put on leave. These guards were fired. It's not as if, even if you believe the complete official story that was put out there that you know Epstein committed suicide, he hung himself with these paper thin bed sheets. You. It, 
there's no doubt that these guards were not doing their job and they were fired as a result. And, you know, the head, this is a federal bureau of prisons. This is run through the federal government. William Barr is the head. He's the attorney Attorney General. general. His father was the person who started Jeffrey Epstein's career. You know, he was he was the guy that brought Jeffrey Epstein out of Dalton, the you know school in Manhattan, and helped turn him into a hedge fund billionaire along with Les Wexner. So the connections there are very close. Even if you're not looking, even if you don't believe that you know there was underhanded stuff going on there, there was no doubt a cover up. That's why it's being investigated out in the open right now. So you don't have to, I don't think, even be a conspiracy nut to think that there's something very fishy going on and it implicates a lot of very powerful people. And that is probably why we're not getting real answers. All right. Miles Conflassen from In These Times is my guest. Before I let you go, Miles, uh, anything, uh, any stories you're working on you want to tell people about, if they want to get in touch with you, all that good stuff? Well, for one, you asked me before during the break whether I'm a Steely Dan fan. Definitely am. I'm on board. Uh, Reeling in the Years, one of my favorites. Um, there you go. Ricky, don't lose that number. What's hey. that? These are the days of the expanding man. Yeah. What is that? Uh, De- Deacon, Deacon Blues. Deacon Blues. I love that song. Um, so. Right, I'm on board with you there. Uh, also, uh, millennial for Steely Dan. I like that. Uh, also, please, uh, you know, check out in these times stories at inthesetimes.com. We have a big story out today on Joe Biden. We didn't get very deep into the details on, but uh, his history of bipartisanship and how it's had disastrous consequences for progressive policies. That's on the homepage today. We also have a piece on the Sanders uh, labor plan by Sean Richman. You can also go back and read an interview I did with Bernie Sanders last year that talks a lot he, he talks a lot about his views on the labor movement um and you can follow me at uh, at miles k lassen on twitter so all right you do. know what we're going to bring back the joe biden uh discussion for the next time you're on because i was defending joe biden uh and part of it i'll just leave you with this i, I mentioned this earlier you before you came i was out with the reason we we're talking about steely dan was with a friend at the steely dan concert and afterwards uh, she's. I asked her who she's supporting, and her voice literally dropped, and she said, Joe Biden. And I'm like, why are you embarrassed? Scream it from the mountaintops, man. If, <laughs> it, does that sound like the kind of guy you want as your nominee to run against Donald Trump as somebody people can't even bring themselves to advocate for well that seems like a problem yeah there's i i I get your point there uh but i think democrats um, spend so much time in infighting Mm -hmm. uh and democrats intimidate other democrats and uh and 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 i'll just leave it at this i noticed when i uh black joe biden supporters come into the studio they're not afraid to say Mm -hmm. that for joe biden but i know there's a lot of white joe biden supporters like Hey, man, if you're for Joe Biden, say it loud. All right, I think so, true. And explain why. And explain why. There you go. That's good. And that's a perfect transition for the next time in the show. We'll take a deep dive. I'm going to read the story. I haven't had a chance to read the story. Uh, I'll read the story. Miles Conflassen is his name. He's a regular guest on our show. Thank you so much, Miles. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Jeff Johnson, the immortal Jeff Johnson, is sitting on deck. We're going to bring him on. I'm going to grill him on pensions. He's like sweating already. He's waiting for those pension questions. (laughs) We'll have Jeff Johnson on. We'll also talk about Lori's budget and all the decisions she has ahead of her. We'll be right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan.
Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. You know, not everybody thought that I should come on this show. And we appreciate it. All right. Your network does not necessarily have a great deal of respect in my world. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Hannibal Burris. The real reason I came home is just because I was trapped. Traveling a lot anyway. I wasn't in New York that much, and I don't have a full-time job in New York. I work a lot, but I'm not in New York, so it was just like I don't, I don't need to be here anymore. And, I, and also, I just wanted to work on different stuff here in Chicago. So I have this center that I'm working on on the West Side, Melvina Masterminds. It's gonna be arts and and then a tech program and after-school programming for uh, kids in the, in the North Austin area. So. Just wanted to be back. There we go. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, August 22nd is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. Unions like the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back our program. And, of course, today's show is brought to you by the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show starts right now.
It is Thursday, August 22nd, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studios on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, union man and pension guru Jeff Johnson is here to talk all things local politics and Sun-Times reporter, a.k.a. the hardest working man in this building, Dave Roeder returns and now your host maybe like the seventh hardest working <laughs> person in the building i'm being generous chicago reader columnist ben jarofsky yes indeed jeff johnson's in the studio get ready to talk budgets and pensions and local politics but before we do that you got an update for us d absolutely we do have updates quite a few and all of these updates involve the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Oh, okay. that's pretty cool, right? Which, by the way, we're now live streaming mm. on Facebook. How cool is that? Ben's already got made fun of for his hat. <laughs> Someone said their monitor broke when they saw Ben's face. <laughs> 19, 1993, boy. Yeah, it's an old school hat. <laughs> very, very old school hat. Very old school. All right, I'm looking here to uh, find my update. Okay, our update here, like I said, it involves the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. If you're already watching on YouTube or if you're listening on the download, by the way, please keep doing so. But go check it out. The Ben Jarofsky Show uh, Facebook live stream. Uh, weigh in. Give us a message or something. I don't know. At Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y. The letter J Show. Our first update is a poll question posted on our Facebook page. Big news for teachers. Governor J.B. Pritzker is signing legislation that raises the minimum salary to $40,000 for teachers in Illinois by the year 2023. Hashtag Governor Jarofsky <laughs> would raise it even higher yeah. to $50,000. Uh-huh. Chicago dollars, what would you, you, the listener, make the minimum teacher salary in Illinois? Your options are more than 40000 or less than 40000 Very easy. Head over and leave us your answer, comments, thoughts, or anything else you'd like to add to this poll question. Elda, Elda weighed in uh, with her thoughts. Elda says, I'm the secretary and I make twice that, starting $70,000 with a beginning five-year contract, which goes toward tenure when completed student loans are paid off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, she does. She. I, I. I suppose she didn't say if she lives in Chicago. No. No. That's all she put there. But okay. be like Elda and weigh in as well. Anything else you'd like to say there? Well, I would like to say this, and I'll bring Jeff into this conversation. When I we were talking about uh, Pritzker signing that bill that yeah. raised uh, minimum wage, if you will, for teachers for of forty teachers, grand, yeah. and uh, I think Ronner vetoed that bill about a year ago, uh, and uh, this shows you the difference our governors make. Uh, and I was pointing out, well, forty thousand dollars. I said fifty. Uh, that's what I think the minimum should be for teachers. And, and when you think about it, this is my argument for it, Jeff. It's, it's a professional career. You have to go to college. So you have student loans. You have student uh, debt. And um, it's also supposed to be a profession that's solidly middle class. It's supposed to be a profession that people can think about keeping for 10, 20 years. It's mm-hmm. not supposed to be a platform. It shouldn't be a platform. Well, I'm going to be a teacher for a couple of years. Then I'm going to go to law school yeah, exactly. and my real life will begin. But, you know, in any profession, the longer you do it, the better you get. So you want to encourage people yeah. to say it. So you start nickel diming your teachers you're not going to encourage people to take the career. Exactly. And you look at you know their edu- you know, their college education requirements just to start with. And then you start comparing that to other jobs where you need a four-year degree or a master's or anything like that. And you look at the pay there. Um, throw in the fact their responsibility. Because at the end of the day, everybody always forgets that they are teaching our future. 
and from kindergarten till basically college and even through college you know you can go in the professor adjunct issue uh but you can uh, you know they have our they have their hooks into our future and if you're gonna pay them less you're gonna get the you know you get what you pay for and you're gonna have these you know for lack of a better word the not the best because they can't get a job anywhere else, so they're going to teach, and um, and it's just it's an investment in your future. It's an investment in your country, it's state, city, whatever it is. Um, and I just always felt that yeah, you need to pay them what they deserve, and it's an investment that will come back tenfold if we have good teachers throughout the state. Yeah. Uh, so if you if it was uh, Governor Johnson, what would you sign it uh, the minimum wage to be? I would uh, I would have to go above forty, right? I mean, you know, cost of living because you know, you got to figure factor everything in, right? So we're just going to use one state blanket, uh, the Cook County area, some of the northwest suburbs. Forty thousand dollars, you're yeah, you're living in a cardboard box in Barrington, mm-hmm. um, and you know, if you go down to Peru, and I always pick on Peru for whatever reason, <laughs> uh, you go down to Peru or whatever, <laughs> poor Peru, yeah. yeah. Forty thousand dollars, it's a medi- it's a middle class life, yeah. right? So forty thousand dollars, even in like the outskirts of Illinois you're still not rich but forty thousand dollars in some parts of the state is a good start it's a starter income you know well that's what we were talking about with uh dennis he's from downstate and so i was saying d what is 50 grand uh downstate Mm. i know what fifty thousand dollars gets you into the in city of city, Chicago, yeah, right. city, uh, one bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, dude, we're balling if we light cigars with twenties. Oh yeah. my goodness, Burger but, King for everybody. But yeah. I, I, I do not believe it's a detriment to have some of your more what successful citizens in a community to be your teacher, be the public service workers. Yeah, Ex- exactly. You're yeah. respected. It, it's yeah. an honorary position. People look at you with, you know, treat you with the, the respect. And, and can you think of where'd you come from? Alton. Alton. Illinois. Can you think of Alton? We recruited Ben from Chicago, paying him $50,000 a year. He's the best of the best. He left Chicago to come to Alton and teach our children. The, the parents would be like, wow, that's impressive. Yeah. We recruited them from another city to come here. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement. Make it 50 grand. All right, uh, Pritzker. Well, I was going to say, we got one more update here, and I'm, I got to know uh, Jeff Johnson's opinion on this. No here. comment. Shout out. Oh, okay. <laughs> Already. Shout out to our Facebook friend, Joan. And no, not that Joan, Ben. It's our Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook friend, Joan. Okay, all right. All right. I along, didn't think it was the other Joan. <laughs> along with a very nice message recommending our show to people, Joan asked, so now we're supposed to like Joe Walsh? Please discuss. Ah, now, if you weren't yes. aware, jo- good, Joan asked that because it was in the news today. Shout out to the Illinois political bulldogs over at Illinois Politico and one Shia Kapos. Joe Walsh, the conservative radio show host and former Illinois congressman, is moving toward challenging President Donald Trump in a Republican primary, calling the president a, quote, unfit divider in chief and claiming that the party is craving an alternative. Walsh told Politico on Wednesday that he was confident he could secure resources and support to mount a challenge against the president and that if he ran he would announce in short order while Walsh on Wednesday would not yet confirm he would enter the primary two sources who spoke to him said he was privately confirming he would announce his presidential bid this weekend and we got a quote from Walsh here he says if I'm if I'm to do it 
It's going to happen soon. All right. And uh, this is Joe Walsh, former congressman, yeah. talk show host, as opposed to Joe Walsh, the guitarist for the Eagles in Hotel California, one of Jeff Johnson's favorite songs. Uh, he will refrain from doing the, the I was, air I was just trying to think of the, uh, yeah, the riff. <laughs> uh, the, uh, that's a different Joe Walsh. That's an old joke I always use. Uh, in terms of Joan's question, are we supposed to like uh, Joe Walsh now? Uh, I'm going to speak for myself, and then Jeff will speak mm -hmm. for himself. I cannot imagine in any universe me liking Joe Walsh's policies. I reserve the right to say I like or dislike a human being only when I've met him and I've never met Joe Walsh. But uh, in terms of his policies, I dislike them immensely. I oppose them. However, I like the fact that somebody in the Republican Party would run, uh, is considering running against Donald Trump. Remember, William Weld was also talking about running against Donald Trump, the former governor of Massachusetts. I believe that Republicans have to look at themselves in the mirror. And I agree with Walsh. If he's the one who said that he's the divider in chief, he's like ripping apart this country in so many ways, just going right at our wounds and just like digging the knife into him, uh, Jeff Johnson, uh, all for his own political ends. We talked about the games he was playing yesterday, trying to divide Jews from mm -hmm. the Democratic Party. We talked in the past about he's trying to divide blacks from the Democratic Party. And uh, I just feel as though he is willing to sacrifice so much just for his own reelection. So I would welcome any Republican uh, who runs against him in a Republican primary. It doesn't mean I'm going to vote for that person against a Democrat. Obviously, I would not because I've never voted for a Republican in my life, but I would welcome a, a Joe Walsh in the race against Donald Trump. Your thoughts? Uh, okay. Uh, from a, st a strategic standpoint, I think it's good if you're the opposing side and then you have infighting, right? If you're a hardcore Democrat and you want them to, uh, the Republicans to kind of fight it out, he spends money. Uh, Joe Walsh gets to rip open some wounds, attack his uh, weaknesses, and from the other side of the aisle, you get to see where the weaknesses are, what pulls better, what what gets people out, right? Um, do I think he has a chance? No, not at all. Uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, um, but from a like a strategy standpoint, mm -hmm. I think it's good, you know, just to get out there and see what holes you can poke at, and then you follow that up. Uh, um, from the other side, I, you know, and I, to be honest though, I do like when parties fight it out themselves, when you have candidates in the party that, Hey, the best, like you were talking in the last segment mm -hmm. about, Hey, that's what, if Bernie's the good candidate, you know, or Biden's a good candidate, you know, it'll come out, it'll, it'll who can get the, uh, who can get the voters out there. And you find that out when you're, when you're fought in your own party. So, I mean, I don't know. I, do I put, and I'll be honest, I don't put much stock in it. I read the article and I kind of poked around on, you know, looking online, I don't put much stock. He's kind of getting his name out there. His name gets floated up there for a while and he could maybe parlay that into something else. So he's he using to it to promote something, <laughs> promote something else. Yeah. I, that's, uh, that, that's where I see that going. Yeah. But, yeah you may yeah. be right. Uh, th that, I, I think that skepticism is probably warranted, but I would welcome, uh, again, like everything you said, I would welcome uh, Republican challengers to Donald Trump and their uh, Republican party. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right. It would only, uh, help the Democrats, yeah. at least uh, force Trump to spend some of his money. Spend some of his money and uh, yeah. some of the wounds.
All right, let's talk about, we, t- we were talking earlier about how uh, we would each raise the minimum wage statewide for teachers, yes. and that would, of course, uh, uh, cost money. Yes. And that leads me to talk to you about uh, Lori Lightfoot's uh, budget speech. It'll be coming next week. I presume you'll be in the audience uh, uh, watching. Quite possibly. Yeah. Quite possibly. I'll guarantee you'll be in the audience yeah. watching, and then you'll be reporting back to us on your exactly. thoughts. Exactly. Uh, so what do you see ahead for Lori Lightfoot uh, in the upcoming budget season? Ooh, um, while the number that's floated out there, billion, I think that's a little high. Um, In terms of a deficit. Yeah, deficit, the deficit, the billion dollar deficit. Um, I've gotten some phone calls recently, people poking around uh, and like what possible, because, you know, and I I was telling this person yesterday, the, uh, the third rail now of Chicago politics is property taxes. And if you... You know, it's a last resort. It, it, it's the last option in the bucket, but you don't want to go there. I mean, that seems like a third rail right now. Um, so you look at some of the other options and you start hitting uh, the uh, service uh, tax. I think that's an easier lift. And, you know, some people could say that it was a rookie move and where... Uh, when it was leaked out there about how you know, sale or the uh, service tax or you know property uh, was a transaction tax or whatever, um, that you know uh, because you know the Cullerton spokesman goes wait what what'd you say? Um, but you know if you look at our past mayor or mayor previous, there was some you know Machiavellian ways of how they dealt with where you floated something out there, let it get kicked around for a little bit. <laughs> And then when it comes back, you know what the negatives are, you know what the positives are, and you tweak what you need to in your uh, advertising for it. Um, I think that you'll see the service tax uh, kind of catch hold. And, you know, she she can hit the people of, you know, her law firm, you know, and they, well, there's no better selling point than, wait, I'm whacking my former employer, and they're good with it. If you can get them to agree to that, right? That's a big F. But yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, there's ways out there. You know, you get the casino coming online soon enough, and I'm sure we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, yeah. The state's in a surplus right now. And, you know, just keep in mind, we're talking about the best possible conditions right now. Uh, 11 years into a bull market. The uh, economy's going along good. There's some volatility in the market nowadays. But we're at the best possible time now for like just market conditions. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's going to be some tough decisions. You know, you talk about the, every budget for, I think, since uh, old man daily, probably it was the same script that they would use. It was always, you know what, we're going to tighten down on city services. We're going to we're going to cut spending. Mm-hmm. And then they hold up how they cut spending to the public. And then they go, OK, we're going to tax you over here yeah. now. Um, and so it's kind of, I think it'll be interesting to see how that gets played out now. Well, the, and the other part of the script, uh, I'll get to, I'll get into the games that she's playing. Cause I think she's, I think she's pretty shrewd the way she's playing this. Uh, let's just start with the being on vacation when the stuff is yeah. leaked. So she's not around the answer. Yeah. She's, we've been joking about this. She's been in Maine for like forever. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and no phone call. I, apparently they don't call, they don't have a telephone. No cell phone service in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this phone doesn't work here. So, you know, these things get floated. These yeah. trial balloons get floated. She's not around to take the punches. Exactly. Uh, and then when she comes back t- from Maine, you know, from that distant uh, universe of Maine, uh, she can weigh in and mm-hmm. she will have had, this is what you were getting at, essentially. She'll see the flaws. And the- She'll see the temperature of the room. Yeah. But the other thing, 
uh, that she did is straight out of the ROM playbook and straight out of the daily playbook, and that is to uh, maximize the deficit so yeah, that oh, when yeah. you first come yeah. in, so you can blame everything on, oh, this mayor, you can't believe, that's what that speech is going to yeah. Unbelievable deficit he left me with. I mean, you know, there was a thing that was always floated out there between Daly and Rahm about how Rahm would never blame Daly publicly. But if I'm the previous administration, hey, me and you are talking, you're coming in, I'm coming out. Hey, listen, blame me for whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. You just use me in any way, shape, or form. I know. I'm going to be over here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so no, that's, yeah, exactly. The, the last guy did it. Yeah. And, you know, and we, me and you have talked, you know, he, uh, the last administration did make efforts to try and get out of under the last 22 year administration. Yeah. And it's just a matter of how dedicated you are. And I think the issue goes to, I mean, part of another phone call I had yesterday was from an out of stater, a finance guy. And he pretty much hit the nail on the head about city finances. He goes, there's a issue. And he asked me, he goes, is there an issue of tax fatigue in Chicago? What does he mean by that? That taxes have gone up for six straight years or seven straight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, property taxes have gotten maxed out for five straight years. Yeah. Everything almost under the sun uh, has gone up tax wise. Mm-hmm. And you have residents that feel that they're overtaxed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there right you go. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, you have residents that feel that they're overtaxed. Yeah. So how do you sell a, you know, you could say a billion dollar budget or a billion dollar deficit up to or down to 400 million. How do you sell that to the taxpayers, the citizens of Chicago who feel they're overtaxed? No, in other words, uh, so what do you mean by a billion dollars to four hundred million dollars? Well, a cu- billion dollars is the the uh, the set amount, the deficit of a, we're a billion dollars short. We need to make that hole, you know, uh, fill that hole, fill it. that hole mm-hmm. down to depending upon what numbers you use. 400, 450 million being realistic. Got it. Okay. And, and 200 of that, you can uh, kind of, you know, kind of shell game it, scoop and toss loans, stuff like that. Um, and you end up with a realistic hole, possibly 289, 300, 350. Yeah. And uh, so what's your thought, the service tax that you were alluding to, which yeah. is uh, the one uh, that they've sort of been suggesting the trial balloon they let out. That yeah. would be on high-end services. High-end services, like yeah. Like top legal. Now, I pres- Legal, investment consultants, uh, auditors. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can't see people in the city of Chicago, uh, just ordinary voters, being concerned if the uh, the downtown law firms yeah. suddenly have to charge a tax yeah. on their clients. Uh, do you see that as an issue that would turn people... From a voter standpoint, no. Uh, but these are influential people that, you know, are going to be the ones that do have a line into the uh, mayor's office that... But it goes to, that can be a shared sacrifice. We're, you know, we're all about shared sacrifice. Everybody has to give a little, so nobody gives a lot. Um, and if they can, if it's sold to them in the fact of it's going to be shared sacrifice, you just give up a little. And, you know, I think that's a way to do it where it's not, you know, it, it, you have to sell it to the public first, mm-hmm. which for the most of them, it doesn't affect a lot of the public for the city of Chicago. Um, I think that then you have a better chance of that not being the controversial tax that you're going to have to raise. Do you uh, suspect there'll be an argument out there? Do you foresee an argument uh, by, let's say you're slapping a tax 
on high-end legal service, suddenly law firms talk about, well, we're going to move to Gary. I can move, yeah, and, and you know, <laughs> so I will openly pick on Indiana, so I don't care. And I'm like, all right, yeah, oh, you're going to move to Indiana? Really? Okay. All right, you're going to move from downtown Chicago on, a, on the riverfront yeah. to, yeah, Indiana? Good yeah. luck. Yeah. yeah, let me know how your employees liked it. All right. Uh, I, I, I openly pick on Indiana. Yeah, so. No, I pick on Indiana all the time, too. But I, I just remember when there was a little South Street tax. Yeah, we can were, move. We're yeah. going to go to Indy. We're going to go to Gary. I'm like, yeah, yeah you can go really? to Gary. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. I, I got a feeling she's going to um, uh, go in that direction. That's my I think so my prediction. Right, yeah. That's what that yeah. uh, it was all about. And I do not see um, a, pro- uh, a significant property tax hike other than for the schools. I think there will be a property tax hike for the schools. Um, all right, let's talk about casinos. Uh, it's been a while since you were last on the show. Yeah. Uh, the, another uh, trial balloon of sort, a, a report was issued. I don't know if you were in town for this one mm-hmm. uh, that said but it, it, it might not be profitable uh, for casinos to come. <laughs> already they passed the law uh jeff and they're already saying oh it's it's not going to be profitable to have a casino um i will backtrack to say that last time i was on here you were pretty good he was i'll give him credit i give credit where credit's due he goes jeff that uh the casino yeah it's going to end up is not on that list yes i did say yeah he goes it's not on the list yeah i'm like well okay and i've quoted you to numerous people like i had a wise individual once told me that's right yeah it's not on the list and i went yeah he's probably now like he's right yeah Yeah, Yeah, that is correct yeah because the way that report was worded was for the five trial balloons None of them would be good you know the the mercy or uh michael reese site would be the best but there's other better ones out there. And I don't buy the argument that we don't want it too close to conventions. Oh, that is the biggest bogus argument. Because, yeah, you, yeah. you go to Las Vegas, Vegas Casino. Come yeah, on. You have to walk through the casino to get to the convention center. <laughs> really? I know. I never I, bought that from the get-go. Yeah. Whoever was, uh, we're worried about the convention industry. Uh, okay. Yeah, all right, yeah. buddy. Um, so I do, uh, you know, I still, my, my money, my dark horse is uh, McCormick Place, the East Building. In the, the the old the old building, it's already pre-wired for a lot of the electricity and everything like that. Um, somebody floated in my ear recently about and the Navy Pier, because you can renovate that uh, auditorium that's basically the only use right now for fire and police graduations at the very end of it. Uh, but that seems a little more heavy lift because you're is that big enough? Yeah, see that's what I mean. You yeah. have to renovate it a lot, yeah. and you know you're bringing in my peer. Um, it's not going to. I think you are 100 percent correct when you said that a month or two ago that it's not going to be in the, one of the five sites oh, no. that they, they listed. That, that was that that little scam. It's because the, the reason I said that is that all the articles in this, this like small print said, oh by the way, uh, it doesn't have to go to one of these sites. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, why are we even investigating? Why are we looking at? <laughs> And the other thing I yeah. found extremely, okay. I'll say, I'll say funny, yeah. is there was a mayoral candidate running for election last time, and he floated out the idea of casinos in the airports. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gary McCarthy. Oh, Big Mac. Yeah. yeah. Casinos in the airports. And people were like, sit down, you knucklehead. What? Yeah, yeah whatever. And now if you look at the report, well, they could generate $45 right. million dollars right a year. About. This is a good thing. Yeah. Gary well, McCarthy's like, uh, guys, I, uh, I, I said this during the election. <laughs> well, I, I mean, and also, it's not just Chicagoans. It's, uh, the, yeah, the, it's the, everybody the, who's just wandering yeah, through O'Hare right. with time to kill. 20 minutes, okay, ka-ching. Yeah. Well, I, I, and in, 
you know, I have mixed feelings about uh, casinos uh, in general, and it's it's like hits the people can least afford to pay the hardest, and they're generally the suckers who are lined up, yeah. uh, uh, who are lined up looking for what a miracle because jeff you know as well as i do it's stacked against oh, you oh god yeah I, I've, I've kept many electricity bills uh, paid for at casinos <laughs> in my time yeah and then i say this as a reformed gambler i just like stay away from them um completely but uh i i would think that it's pretty obvious it's going to go downtown if it comes here yeah, at all and they're probably, so. and they're looking already to adjust the payout yeah i mean the way they split it a third a third a third i mean that just I, yeah i know yeah and well, what's the point of having it if we minimize our take? Well, what I think, you know, it came down to like the large sticking point was always the city license. The city wanted to own it. Yes. And downstate was, you know, and let's say just south of I-80, the Republicans were like, we're not giving Chicago casino uh, given their history. And that was always, I think, the sticking point. And finally, when the city said, you know, whatever, we don't have to own it. Yeah, Sure. But they only get a third of the profit, and we get a third, state gets a third, and now that becomes like, well, it's not profitable now. Yeah. So they're gonna have to go back and tweak that aspect. I, how? What do you tweak it that makes it profitable for somebody to run it, and profitable for the city and per se state mm-hmm. to make sure that you know everybody's getting a fair enough cut? Yeah. That's. That's going to be a mess. That's a bowl of spaghetti to unwind. That is, and uh, there's every lobbyist in the world yeah. is going to be in that room yeah. when that thing is cut, that deal is cut. And as you pointed out, and now I, I noticed this, but these papers must be listening to our show because you pointed out that the, that money from Chicago will be dedicated uh, police to the, and fire, police and fire, police and fire pensions. Yeah. All right, so let's yeah. talk one more time. Give folks yeah. a little uh, background on pensions. How much is that obligation right now that we have in this current heading into this budget cycle? Heading into this current budget season, that just for police and fire, because as a backdrop, Muni, the municipal pension fund, which I am a grateful trustee on, uh, our increase is in the uh, sewer and water. Um, tax. Mm-hmm. So that's already preset. It's going up. It's going to be on the sewer, uh, part of your I just paid order. my bill. Hey, well, hey, <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> I just paid that. Thing. God bless you. Yeah. Um, the yeah. 911 tax is going up. That frees money for the laborers fund. So that's already predetermined. It's police and fire pension funds that have a $289 million jump this year. Mm-hmm. So out of that, I, the reported billion, 289 of that is for police and fire pension funds. So for five straight years, property taxes went up. It was the ramp, like the predetermined numbers that for muni and laborers have. And so then it went up for five years and at their end of the ramp. And now, so now they, they were on a predetermined number and then now they're going to jump what is referred to as actuarial determined contribution. So an actuary who's sitting over where he's at mm-hmm. says, ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Uh, you have to pay this number is what the city owes. And it's an independent you know, person. Um, $289 million jump. That's a large jump. And so the city, that's, and, you know, there's the soft debt, hard debt, as far as how you want to figure out, like, okay, we have a deficit, but what do I need to pay? Do I need to pay the electric bill or do I need to pay, you know, uh, the TV bill, right? What's, uh, what's hard, what's soft? Um, $289 million for police and fire. And that would come out of the casino. Yes. Uh, From the bill years ago, SB 777, which I screenshot you and sent you as Mm -hmm. proof. Uh, Because I didn't believe him. Yeah, he didn't believe me. (laughs) Uh, And I think the exact wording was profits from from a Chicago casino will go towards 
and it's in both bills, yeah. police, uh, pension fund, uh, fire pension fund. So really when they get into that back room uh, and they start wheeling and dealing on the formula, and when I say the they, I'm talking about the governor, the mayor, representatives of them, if not literally the governor and the mayor, yeah. lobbyists, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, for the uh, gambling interest, they're going to try to figure out a formula that will, uh, from a casino, that'll guarantee that the operator of the casino makes enough money to make it worth his or her while mm -hmm. to run the casino, and that the city of Chicago and the state get enough proceeds yeah. from the casino to to make it worth their while to set up yeah. the casino. Uh, my what do you think? The state's going to have to give a little bit on that one? Well, I mean, any new revenue to the state is extra revenue, right? And like, you know, we had talked before, there's no such thing in the last how many years. There's never been a thing as new revenue. And so you're seeing new revenue introduced. And it's marijuana, it's gaming, it's uh, all these other, uh, these different aspects are popping up now. And to if I'm a politician, if I'm an elected official, I feel kind of sad because all this new revenue is going to pay old bills. Yeah. Um, and so the state's going to have new revenue, but it, then it does in turn free up money towards the city because there's money that flows from the state to the city. Mm -hmm. And there's ways there that if it's extra money to the, uh, to the state, you can just free it up towards the uh, city. Yeah. So, and you know, one of the other things to be cognizant of, I should say, is that the required contributions, when they do these contributions, they, they look at it either 40-year terms or 50-year terms. So we'll just use 40 years. And in 20, so pick a year, 2030, the pensions will be 90% funded in 2030. And so they dedicate it like from here to there, straight line, how does it get there? Mm -hmm. Well, if you extend the time where, you know, Oh, instead of 40 years, let's use 50. Now those payments go from this, like straight up or not mm -hmm. straight up, but on a higher angle, they go a little spread out. And that's where if in, you know, I'm an ardent supporter of, you know, paying more money to the pension funds. And, you know, there's ways there where, you know, you might not be paying the full amount. Yeah. And this is where you get into kicking the can. Well, they're, and they will get their teeth kicked in if they do this from the rating agencies. They being who? The city of Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, Moody's, Fitch, S&P. Because, oh, yeah, we're going to dedicate money from here to 30 years. Well, uh, well how about we do it in 50 years mm -hmm. instead? But you're st if you're still increasing money to the pension funds, mm -hmm. I see that as an overall net positive, but it's not exactly the best scenario. All right. And uh, the... Let's get into something. I'm going to put you in the hot speed seat here. I know. I've been I, talking I haven't about, been in a hot seat? Yeah. I, <laughs> I've been talking. By the way, Dave Roeder, uh, folks watching, that is the great Dave Roeder. Uh, we're going to be shifting conversation. We take a break, talk about downtown development. Just walked in and he's already judging me. Yeah. yeah. And he's like already. Because uh, <laughs> uh, we were on the camera there, Dave. So you're on uh, Facebook Live and uh, uh, YouTube. Anyway. All right. Uh, but I've been talking a lot about this. Dorothy Brown. Uh, a clerk of the circuit court yes. and now she's not going to run and she had came right out and said i'm vested in my pension and that's why i came, i'm leaving office now okay. and i've been critical of her for saying that and would love to get your response to this because i believe i'm a big supporter of pensions for cops and firefighters city workers and teachers etc and so forth I believe they uh, do a very important service mm -hmm. uh public officials elected officials i'm a little less 
certain that, yeah. you know, that the service they provide is as important as like a police officer, a first responder, a person in an ambulance. Okay. okay? And, and when somebody just boldly asserts, well, I'm, I'm cashing in now. Yeah. Uh, I just think that undercuts the credibility of the whole pension movement. And it makes it that much more difficult for like legitimate pensioners uh, to get their money. What do you think? So we'll start with uh, tier two in 2011 for the city of Chicago when they did the, uh, we've talked about how they changed the uh, mm-hmm. tiers for the new higher ones. Uh, they did away with the aldermanic plan for city of Chicago aldermen in 2011. So now if you're a newly, elect- newly elected alderman after 2011, you're in the same pension like, kind of formula as any other city worker. So it's not like they get the uh, aldermatic uh, advanced plan where they can retire after 20 and stuff like this. So they're like any regular city worker. And, you know, for lack of a better word, you got hired at 20, you have to work till you're 67. Um, so they've kind of made some steps to change that recently. Um, to your point, as far as just elected officials overall, you know, I think that if they did their job, got elected, earned their pension, I'm not going to begrudge anybody for playing. Like when you get hired, because that's my thing. When you get hired, what are the rules to the game when you got hired? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, what are the rules? You got it. You yeah. know, and so her flaunting that I got mine and I'm out. Yeah. Uh, it just takes away from the fact that she thinks if she uh, doesn't run, the feds are going to leave her alone, uh, you know, like a lot of other elected officials. And, uh, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But it's, uh, yeah, take the bullseye off my back. I'm out of the game, right? <laughs> I, I threw the hard question at him, and he didn't duck or dodge. Jeff Johnson, that's why I love him so much. Uh, Dave Roder sitting uh, on deck. We're going to bring him on. We're going to shift gears, talk about uh, downtown development. We'll be right back. How many cranes? Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago landcremationoptions.com. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, it is amazing. Furniture, appliances, books, antiques, candles. I'm looking at the website right now. All of these books. Holy Lord, Ben would love this place. He loves reading. Oh, is that an entertainment center I see on GreenElementResale.com? It is. Green Element Resale. It's a fantastic place. And they are sponsors of the Ben Jarofsky Show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, stop into Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway in Chicago, and tell them thank you. They're open Monday through Saturday, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. Sunday, 12 until 7 p.m. Green Element Resale. Head on by. Who knows? You may see Ben Jarofsky there shopping for candles. Oh, wow. He loves candles, everybody. Cinnamon. 
Oh, sit, sit. No, he likes the marijuana-scented candles. Yeah, you usually light a candle to get rid of the smell of marijuana. Ben likes the smell of marijuana. He used the candles. It's very interesting. Uh, and also, here we want to remind you that it is almost football season, and that means the best sports reporters in Chicago want to offer you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all the stories you love. Do not miss a game this season. Get all the big play scores and stories from the Chicago Sun-Times. For a limited time only, you can test out our digital access for $1. Seriously, $1. There's no reason not to give this a shot, people. Stay up to date on breaking stories. Get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times reporters. Cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city and go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting. $1, I said. $1 for your first month. You cannot do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right, very good. Dave Roder with has joined us in the studio, and I twisted Jeff Johnson's arm. And, all right, he'll stay uh, anyway because right. he wants to hear this. Uh, Dave Roder, of course, uh, is ace a business. Uh, I call him business reporter because back in the day, David, uh, that's where, you know, that's how you were. Uh, anybody who wrote about development in the city of Chicago was on the business page. I don't know if they make that distinction anymore. Uh, but we've been talking about ways that uh, Lori Lightfoot could find the money to uh, operate the city of Chicago, pay the bills, et cetera. And a lot of this will come down to. Oh, de- we're going to find out in about a week. About uh, a week. Yeah, Do you have a prediction, yeah, by the way? We, we've been talking yeah. about that. Uh, uh, Jeff and I have been talking at length about the the various trial balloons that she's floated. What do you think she's going to come and dis- uh, settle on? I, uh, I got to think she's going to come back with some kind of a tax on high-end services, you know, uh, accounting firms, you know, all architecture firms, law firms. Uh, we'll, we'll see how far that goes. That was an issue that they kicked around in the state, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. It never uh, got enacted. Uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll we'll have to see if uh, if she can carry it through. Well, yeah. one of the yeah. things that we were d- discussing is the possibility that uh, let's say she d- asks for a, uh, a, a tax on high end legal services, will law firms suddenly say we're leaving Chicago, we're going to go to Gary, Indiana? Do you, do you expect no, to hear that kind of rhetoric? No. Oh yeah, up and uh, up and down <laughs> uh, Northwest Indiana, right by the steel mills, <laughs> they're, they're going to put they're up all these buildings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 No, they, you know, they, uh, the, the, uh, the office market here is doing really, really well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's because, uh, you know, firms like that want to be here. They got lots of reasons, you know, for wanting to stay here. Uh, they'll, uh, they'll moan about it, but, uh, I don't think they, uh, you know, they're going to get up and leave. And, and they pass that on to their the clients. As, exactly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah, precisely. So it'll just, you know, be, uh, uh, you know, a little more expensive to uh, to hire the architect to build your building and all of that. You know, OK. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if she can if she can carry it through. All right. Let's talk about some of the big uh, uh, projects that are happening in downtown since the last time you we were on the show. Uh, first, uh, we talked the post office. You've been writing a lot about the uh, old yeah. uh, post office. I can't you believe know. that that baby is finally off the ground. You and I have been writing about that. I know. One. You know, <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's the turnaround story of, uh, of the city. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's really quite in- incredible. And 
I, I, I got to say, you know, for people who've been around Chicago for a long time, if, uh, you know, you, you've been in that building, it's really just amazing. You know, you can stand on one floor and look at the other end and almost observe the curvature of the earth. You know, the floor <laughs> is so, yeah. is so huge. Vast. Yeah. Uh, when, uh, you know, when it was empty for, for 20 some years, uh, they had to keep the heat on because they were worried that uh, if the place got cold, the floors would contract and collapse, yeah. you know, mm. pancake on down. Uh, so, you know, it, it was just a blight, but with like, literally about a billion dollars in uh, in money uh the uh, the owners uh uh did all the, they they're doing all this refurbishment and it's become uh you know really an attraction it's become a magnet for that southwest part of the loop that and willis tower which is uh, getting uh, you know its own you know big deal renovation Making it a lot more tenant friendly and all that, so it's uh, it's driving a lot of other things going on out there. You got uh, you know Uber that uh, said they're you know going in with four hundred and fifty thousand square feet, mm-hmm. although Uber's you know just losing money yeah, hand exactly. over fist. Yeah, so yeah, I don't yeah. know how long this since, is going to go since on. their IPO. Yeah, everything yeah. that they're le- uh, leaking out is that they're losing money just hand over fist. Yeah, it's. I do not know, but just for a moment, please explain to me the business model with Uber. We were talking you, about you this have yesterday. six employees that are IT employees; the rest are independent contractors. How are you losing mm-hmm. money? Uh, I yeah yeah I, I, I and then they're yeah. but they have enough money to sink into a long term lease with the post office, mm-hmm. and they're uh, you know that they have these other ventures of uh, Uber Freight, which is kind of you know applying. Yeah. You know the Uber independent contractor model to what, uh, yeah. to freight uh, businesses, um, and uh, the, you know they're doing some other things too. Uh, so it's uh, it's still you know who knows uh, if if this is, this is going to stay. But it's interesting, you know, uh, financial viability used to be a uh, a big. Uh, you know, rule for uh, for somebody running office space. I got to make sure these guys are going to pay the bill. Well, yeah, I guess they, you know, they, they think Uber's going to uh, be good for a lease for 10, 15 years, whatever, you know. Uh, and, uh, uh, and of course, the the post office and Willis uh, Tower are in TIF districts. I think the post office TIF, TIF district is uh, due to expire, like within the next two or three years, your sense of where Lori's going to go with this, do you think she's going to uh, continue that TIF district so there'd be more money for downtown development, Dave? Or do you think she's going to let these TIF districts expire and then be able to reap all the property taxes that are flowing into Yeah, I, I, I think those, uh, those TIF TIFs will be rolling off the books. Yeah, I don't think there's uh, there's any appetite to you know renew or extend them. Uh, she uh, you know she's going to need that money for uh, for herself you know for the schools. Uh, so I I, yeah, I think that's uh, that that's going to go by the boards. All right. so, and so what are the other big development deals you want to talk about that you've been writing about? You know, uh, there's uh, th- there's just so much going on in uh, the area we're in. Uh, you know, Fulton Market, uh, the near west side. Uh, you know, everybody's putting up uh, uh, apartment buildings. You've got uh, still more uh, corporate. Uh, you know, jobs coming in. Glassdoor had a has a big deal here where they're uh, moving in, kind of the the west end of uh, Fulton Market. Uh, there's a lot more development attention going on there. It's it's really, it's kind of crazy. Uh, you look uh, everywhere you look in this neighborhood, you see yeah. the, uh, the the, con- the 
construction cranes. I got and I got two cranes outside my front door, and I live off of Madison. Yeah, they're doing a 597s building right off of Madison and Bishop, and then there's another uh, construction crane uh, two blocks down. Mm-hmm. But you just wonder how long this is going to go on. Yeah. And I, uh, I I keep hearing from some of the developers. They're, they're starting to get nervous for, for a lot of reasons. One is, you know, maybe, you know, recession and, and so forth. But they're, you know, they're, they're really worried about uh, what kind of a tax, you know, bomb is going to be dropped on, on them, too. Uh, they're, you know, they're going to be listening to what the mayor says next week. Uh, they're, they're worried about the Cook County assessor and, and everything else going on. They're sort of a... Uh, a, a little bit of a of a chill wind going through the uh, the market right now. So wait, that speaks to a point because from a pension side, from investing, uh, I'm doing a, a conference uh, end of or end of September, and I'm doing commercial real estate. And one of the things that I always say is, with all the redevelopment that they've done downtown, all the new buildings, redevelopment, everything. You know, if you're this business making money and you're in an older high rise, you look across the street and go, I wait, I want to be in that shiny new one. Yeah. And so, you know, they're always going to the best, newest, better view and everything. And it is it coming to that point where there's like a saturation point for like downtown area where it's like, okay, we can't build anymore. You know, there's, and once you get to the point where there's empty retail space and that's why I'm like, are we at that point? Are we getting close to it? Yeah. I, I, I don't see that happening right now. Cause you, you always get, you know, some new users, new kinds of companies moving into the market. Like with the post office, uh, it's, it's got an appeal to tech firms cause they like everybody the open, on the same the open floor. floor. Yeah, floor the big, you got a lot of open floor. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it, uh, you know, it used to be, uh, you know, they were uh, building buildings for law firms yeah. that, that liked, you know, tighter floors, corner offices for everybody. Uh, some some buildings looked like, you know, sawtooth <laughs> design because everybody had to have a corner office, yeah. you know. Uh, but but now that's kind of uh, out of fashion, you know. So so tastes change, and uh, there there's still you know an opportunity for uh, developers here to uh, to build new and uh, refurbish old buildings. You got uh, so many of these older buildings uh, that are uh, uh, getting uh, some hotel presence in it. You've got uh, these new new age kind of hotel operators where, uh, say, they'll they'll book that they'll own uh, twelve rooms within a, an old office building. And they will rent those out as hotel rooms mm-hmm. to people. You you book it on your app, and it you know you're staying in, not in somebody's house, mm-hmm. but in a hotel room that they've fixed up for you. But you're you're in an office building, or you might be in a condo building too. You know, mm. uh, there that there that's a whole new wave of uses uh, coming into this market. That's kind of interesting. I, I think it uh, you know maybe offers up some some problems. We know about. You know, with Airbnb, yeah. the, the problems that uh, that this could bring on. This is supposed to be, uh, you know, a, a little more, you know, stable, more, you know, quality to the to the rooms that they offer, that sort of thing. Uh, you mentioned uh, the possibility of a recession, and uh, I've been following this from afar. Uh, is more of a national news story than a local Chicago story, but already Donald Trump, his reelection team is very concerned about the possibility of a recession. I've seen some uh, polls uh, that just came out today that the attitude of of voters is sort of changing. They're less optimistic uh, about the economy and uh, 
you know, there's this sense that this ride is about to end. How prevalent is that sense, that fear, that concern uh, in the development community, the people that you cover? Yeah, I, I think it's it's real out there. It, it's growing, but nobody knows, you know, exactly, you know, when it's going to mm-hmm. happen, how deep it's going to be, or or anything like that. The the main thing about uh, recessions is. Uh, they're they're usually pretty short, you know. There's uh, we we're on a decade long, yeah. uh, you know, overall period of growth here, and uh, recessions can feel kind of ruinous, but they're usually a short duration. I'll but, tell you what, when you're going through one, it doesn't it feel doesn't short. feel like but <laughs> that's for sure. All I, all I picture though, talking about when the property uh, uh, bubble burst, is the South Loop. And how the South Loop was in this major development phase, and then all of a sudden the bubble burst. Yeah. And you had high rises with plastic just flopping out of it down, uh, you know, 12th Avenue, Roosevelt. And, it, you know, everybody just walked away from them in the middle of the construction. Yes, and, they did. And, I, you know, it's areas like that, which I think in, in Chicago, I think will weather a recession better than most other cities because of just how multifaceted we are with our economies and everything like that. But I, I don't see a neighborhood like, and I just picture the South Loop being like that epitome of like how bad a recession can hit. Oh my God, that was uh, 2007, 2008. That's when it hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, <laughs> just walked away from construction yeah, projects. Just, yeah, the plastic flapping in the wind. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then the, the reality, of course, is now we, the, the economy is stimulated. The prices, the real estate prices are, are soaring. And when you have a recession, suddenly people mm-hmm. uh, are stuck with property that's not worth it. You know, people, uh, people are back to like the same level of household debt that they had uh, uh, before that the crisis you know the same level of, uh, of mortgage debt uh, you know credit card balances have gotten up there again it's uh, it it really is is getting uh, you know a bit nerve-wracking because all of this is like it, you know the the prices of real estate it's going beyond people's ability to pay mm. if they're trying to buy a house all right that's dave roeder uh, jeff johnson stuck around as well we gotta, i think we better head out the road huh d uh you want to take a break and come back or do you wanna... hey, we got some updates let's take a break we'll do updates we'll head out that the boss of the show says let's take a break we'll be right back after this it's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Democratic socialism to me, I believe that human beings, especially in a wealthy, democratic, civilized society like our own, are entitled to certain basic rights. So let me be very clear, and I'm sure we'll discuss it later in the show, Brett. I believe that health care is a human right, not a privilege. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. Yes, indeed. Uh, final minutes of today's show. Dave Roeder in the studio. Jeff Johnson also in the studio. Uh, D, you got an update for us before? Uh, yeah, I have a few updates here before we roll out. First off, tomorrow... 
the Chicago Reader, and the Ben Jarofsky Show. We're writing a love letter to Chicago journalism. It's a telethon tomorrow, 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. We're going to be live on Facebook and ChicagoReader.com. It's a live telethon online to launch the Reader's new monthly donors campaign. We're going to have tons of guests here. Uh, we're going to be doing the Ben Jarofsky Show from 1 until 3 uh, at the Chicago Reader. A lot of guests lined up for the whole event, 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. Uh, support independent journalism and journalists by pledging as low as $5 a month at chicagoreader.com forward slash members and be on the lookout on your uh, Facebook and chicagoreader.com. This telethon is going to be awesome. A lot of guests, a very learned telethon as well. We're going to be talking about Chicago history, uh, Chicago Reader history past and also trying to get some donations. Chicago Reader, free publication. So it's time to Give a little money out to the Chicago Reader tomorrow, 7 a.m. until 7 p.m. Join us, won't you? It'll be fantastic. All right, on to the updates here. We have a 2020 presidential candidate update. And if you want to get technical about it, a 2020 former presidential candidate update. A day after ending his 2020 Mm. presidential campaign, Jay Inslee has announced that he will seek a third term as governor of Washington State. Ben Jarofsky, your thoughts? Good. Oh, that's it, huh? <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, I, I like the fact that uh, Inslee uh, is very committed uh, to the fight against uh, the destruction of the planet uh, through climate change. I appreciate uh, his commitment to that goal. But let's face it, folks, he never had a realistic chance to win the nomination. And uh, I think uh, the, the citizens in Washington are better served by having him returning as their governor if he can get reelected. And it's one less person standing on that stage. <laughs> so many people complaining, Ben, there's too many people. I can't pay attention to all of them. So we're slowly reducing. Jeff Johnson knows this. It's going to happen, mm-hmm. reducing the number of candidates running. So Jay Inslee, he gone. All right, on to our next he update. He oh, Paul Carrollson. Yeah. Little Chicago joke. Paul Carrollson. All right, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Donald Trump's longest-serving and most loyal press secretary. Uh, well, Sarah Sanders is joining Fox News as a contributor. She's leaving the White House and joining Fox News. She went, went, wait, I thought she already worked for Fox job, News. Right? Yeah, <laughs> she's going full time. Yeah, I just she already had that job. Yeah. She's going full time. I see, okay. Uh, she will make her debut appearance next month on the president's favorite show, all together now, Fox and Friends. Oh, That's God. right. She wow. says she's excited to join Fox News as a contributor, yada, yada. She loves it, blah, blah. But what we're going to do here on the yeah. Ben Jarofsky show, okay. we're going to congratulate I guess Sarah Huckabee Sanders kind of send her off with a farewell here. One of our favorite things to play. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, so long. Give us that wicked equation you're always working. And so the fifth reporter, like the first four, now paid nothing. He got a 100% saving. 100%. The sixth now paid $2 instead of $3, okay. a 33% saving. The seventh now paid $5 instead of 7 okay. a 28% saving. 28%. The eighth now paid okay. $9 instead of 12 one, a 25%. I'm lost. I'm lost. Yeah, okay, so uh, David and uh, Jeff, I think Jeff Johnson's heard this bit before. Uh, back in the old radio show, uh, we did. We had the Sarah Huckabee Sanders during the tax debate, and uh, it was when Donald Trump got through that tax, uh, massive tax cut. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was explaining uh, to reporters who were very confused how a tax break for billionaires actually worked out to a tax break for ordinary middle class people. And so she went on this long... <laughs> That's that's just a piece of a long explanation when she took the deep dive into numbers and 
Just and so the fifth reporter, like the first four, now oh, paid yeah. nothing. Okay, yeah. got that. Yeah. I, she did it for the reporters. She was like, well, imagine you as a reporter, and this is what you're making. And Anyway. Farewell, Sarah Huckabee <laughs> Sanders. We will miss you. Yeah, I know. Dave Roder was a huge Sarah Huckabee Sanders fan. Um, anyway, uh, uh, so anyway, before we let you get out the door, David, oh, I, I have to ask you about that. I don't know if you saw this. You did not write this. It was in the Chicago Tribune, but I subscribe to the Tribune as well. Okay. All right, here we go. Uh, interesting article by Casey Johnson about, uh, he's a sports reporter, about 25 years of the United Center. I forgot. Tw- oh, the United uh-huh. Center is 25 years old and was bankrolled to a degree by a huge uh, property tax break. So you're welcome, owners of the pro- uh, United Center. Uh, but uh, it has obviously had a significant impact, don't you think? on uh, these development trends that you were talking about? Talk it, a little uh, about that. It, yeah, it had, uh, it's had an enormous impact out there. And, and going back to uh, the 90s with the, you know, with the Democratic convention there and all the money daily put in for the, uh, you know, fixing up the streets and the uh, the, the flower planters oh, in the yeah. middle of, uh, of Madison Street and so forth. Yeah, uh, that, that uh, you know, that helped kick off uh, that area uh, quite a lot. And, you know, it led to the, you know, the building in of stuff between that and uh, in the the loop so uh, Oprah yeah uh, yeah um, yeah really uh, really quite an impact some of that stuff takes you know some of sometimes it uh, it doesn't but uh, I, I think with the with the public investment that uh, that followed up with the United Center yeah it uh, it, it did it it did mm-hmm. the trick there uh, final question for let you go the 78 this is a development deal massive uh, development project for the South Loop Roosevelt and uh, Clark Street and just south of there uh, there was one of the last act we talked so much about Lincoln Yards uh, but don't really know what's coming at 78 is there anything new on that front in terms of it's you know they they have a general plan. This was to be like the, you know one of the Amazon headquarters site that the the city threw into to that uh, derby. But the, their general plan is uh, you know quite ambitious. Uh, homes along the riverfront, uh, some office buildings uh, in the middle, maybe uh, maybe some towering. Um, connections uh, to the to the train line to the to the CTA and all of that, uh, and they've uh, they've got a uh, space set aside for the U of I uh, for uh, like an innovation a, a tech hub that is supposed to be going forward. We'll, uh, we'll we'll see if the uh, if the state you know comes up with the with the money for that. Yeah, that was going to be a, a big piece there. They've uh, you know they're they're working on the plans for that, and it's uh, it's very you know slow in the process right now. All right, very good. That's Dave Roder from the Chicago Sun Times. Dave, folks want to get in touch with you. How can they do so? Um, I'm at uh, D Roder, D is in David, R O E D E R at SunTimes.com, and uh, always glad to uh, to take uh, some tips. I'm especially interested right now in uh, condo deconversions uh, around the city. Uh, this is you know developers trying to get a building deconverted from a condo to an apartment building, and I'm wondering if there's any shenanigans out there with the developers trying to like. Take Take control of a condo board, letting the building run uh, run all downhill so they can pick up the the rest of people's units on the cheap. You know. Oh, that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's Chicago, man. They, yeah. they they buy up the condos and then. Uh, and you're seeing more apartment buildings though, or more apartments popping up in, uh, especially in this area. Right yeah. Here. yeah. But that's that 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 what you're talking about. What they do, Jeff Johnson, is they they buy up uh, the units. 
They don't, maybe they sublet them, maybe, yeah. but more likely they just want to take control of the condo of the board. board. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. What a city. If yeah. there's a scam in Chicago, exactly. they're going to figure it out. Uh, and uh, Jeff Johnson, if folks want to get in touch with you, do you have any any way they could do it other than just calling my show? Twitter, Facebook, uh, Jeff Johnson at meschicago.org. Yeah. All right. Very good. That's Jeff Johnson uh, and Dave Roeder. And I want to thank Miles. He did an outstanding job as always. He's working this new camera uh my the other miles uh uh was in here earlier from in these times and of course the man the myth the legend behind the board and uh alton, alton illinois a town and, and uh, 618 as jeff johnson can tell you back in alton they call him white lightning yes dr d give yourself a raise take it out of petty cash see you tomorrow everybody for the reader telephone and remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash pages forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Downloaders, we live stream this program Tuesdays through Fridays, 1 until 3 p.m. Central Time at Chicago Sun-Times website, Chicago Reader website, YouTube, and Facebook. We're now on Facebook Live. Get a load of Ben's old-looking hat. It's fantastic. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. And also, the Telethon. Check out thechicagoreader.com. Get all the information you need to know because we're going to be broadcasting there live tomorrow. It's going to be fantastic. We'll see you there.